listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since Welcome to episode 200 of the GGTMC. We are here, and I have a full house today of uh, GGTMC favorites, including the two hosts of the show. <laughs> the uh, uh, the titular Big Willie is here uh, to, to kind of use a word that he used earlier in a conversation off mic. Uh, the titular Twinkie himself. Uh, <laughs> 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 I have uh, Miles from Show Show on the show. Hey guys, there he is, and the one and only Brian, also known as Rupert Pupkin. Rupert Pupkin speaks. Hello. So good to have you guys on. It's like a uh, reunion of sorts. We haven't had you guys on in a while, and it's just great to have you guys back on the show. Pleasure, pleasure to be back. Yeah, thanks, man. Glad to be back, man. Glad to be back. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so. Uh, <laughs> So this week, we uh, the, the, the kind of special thing was not only to celebrate 200 episodes and bring some friends back to the show, but talk about a um, kind of an icon of the GGTMC world, and and that is uh, Charles Bronson. We've covered a few Bronson films over the years, um, and uh, it's been going on four years now. Am I right, Will, when I say that? Four years we've been doing this? Yeah, man, it'll be four years exactly when we're in Indy this weekend coming up. Yeah, it's crazy. And... Uh, Bronson's always been a big part of that, and uh, so you know we wanted to cover his, I guess his most popular series of films, and we were all fans of uh, of Bronson in some way, shape, or form. But I knew we were all fans of the Death Wish films, be it one, two, or three. We were all fans of the Death Wish films, so that's why I kind of hit you guys up and everything. So it should be fun to talk about these uh, now. I just want to kind of give a little bit of a background uh, for those who don't know. Most people listening to this show probably do know, but when Death Wish was released in '74, it was very controversial. <laughs> uh, it got a lot of bad press. It, it was a hit, but it got a lot of bad press, uh, kind of for its support of. Uh, I'm gonna have a hard time saying this word: vigilantism. There we go. I think I got it. <laughs> that was it. Nice. Rolling out the gates. <laughs> Ooh. Nice. Watch, I'll slip on a word like "duh" or something. <laughs> Uh, and anyway. I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it came out in 74, and when it came out, it was a big hit, and Bronson became an international superstar. Uh, he kind of was 
he was pretty popular anyway, uh, at least among certain things. He had done he'd done Once Upon a Time in the West. He had done uh, a couple other things. I guess he'd done The Mechanic already. Dirty Dozen. The Dirty Dozen. So he'd been in some Twinkie. films and stuff. But once, <laughs> one, yeah, Twinkie. But once, once uh, Death Wish came out, it was like a whole new career started for this guy. And and we're talking about an actor that was into his fifties, and he became a uh, well, he became I guess a household name in some ways. I guess that's what you call him now. If you know, uh, you know, it's it kind of similar to like Liam Neeson's kind of resurgence in his fifties as this big international star. He's always been there, but it's like now he really sells a movie. You know what I mean? Especially in a certain kind of role. The Vigilante, which ironically is what Neeson kind of became, yes. taking the law into his own hands. So. Yeah. So it's interesting um, how it, you know how popular he became. And then he went on a, a string of, I mean, he made a lot of movies, Bronson did, between then and the end of his career. Um, to varying degrees of quality, it should be said. But anyway, that's which films kind of became synonymous with Charles Bronson. I guess we could... I guess when it comes down to it, I can say that sentence with uh, the utmost certainty that when you think the words death wish, you think Charles Bronson. <laughs> Would you guys agree? Absolutely. No. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Taking out the trash. Yeah. One at a time. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. All right. So that's kind of a background and kind of a thought process. So I just kind of wanted to ask you guys, because usually we go into our, what we've been watching and stuff, but you guys haven't been on in a while. And, uh, we could get into that, and that would take all morning, and we only have a certain amount of time. But um, I just kind of want to ask you guys, and I guess I'll start with uh, Bri. Uh, do you kind of remember the first time, maybe not the fir- maybe the first time you saw Death Wish, but maybe just the, yeah, let's just go ahead and go with that. Let's go, let's go that route. Do you remember the first time you saw a Death Wish film? Yeah, I think. I mean, you know what? It, he became such a big, I mean, I had a whole bunch of cycles. You know, I had like, you know, Eastwood and, you know, Bruce Lee and I had, uh, you know, Chuck Norris and Bronson was in there. And I'm trying to remember, I think Death Wish 3 might have been the first time I saw him. I think I saw it on TV mm-hmm. or maybe I saw the first. You know what? I might have seen the first one before I saw 3, but I know I didn't see 2 until after I saw 3. But anyway, um, I just remember, you know, really those really having an impact on me. Both two, one and three, for sure. Yeah, yeah. 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 And then I started just going through everything, and you, you see something like the mechanic, and you're just kind of like, "Wow, that's yeah. definitely so a, two different amazing. type of impacts with three and one." <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, no, we can definitely get into that. Um, the difference between a Paramount film and a Canon film is <laughs> a little gap. Yes, but um. But I certainly came to love his canon work quite a bit. You know, it was just the right time. I must have been, I don't know, 11, 12 years old, or maybe even younger. But he was he was huge. He was just one of those guys where I went through and saw everything I could on VHS. Yeah, and you're right about that statement you made there. Canon was, you know, for us guys that grew up in the 80s, Canon was, it, you know. <laughs> huge. Yeah, we just don't even talk about the influence of Canon enough on this show and how important yeah. it was on uh those those kids that grew up in the 80s and cable and v, VHS rentals and Canon films, man. I was always looking for a Canon film. I didn't even realize it that until, you know, I started to get into it quite a bit. Just like how much stuff they put out that I totally dug. <laughs> yeah. you know? and, I, and I will say, and I'm sure you guys feel the same way, I cannot wait for that documentary that uh, yes. Draft House Films is putting oh, out. Yeah. I cannot wait. Yes, that's yes, exactly. 
Okay, how about you, Miles? Do you remember? Sorry, sorry oh. Rick, hang on. I just want to ask well, very quickly, if we can go around as we're all answering this, uh, what's your favorite Brunson film? If you had to pick one, just one, Bry. Why? <laughs> um, or two, if it, there's a tie. That's I, I mean, it'd be it probably would be close between The Mechanic and Death Wish 3. Um, oh. those, are, those are really up there for me. But he did so much good stuff. It'd be really hard yeah. Yeah. to say. But I, those, are, those are two that I come back to a lot and love a lot. I, get, I guess you have to wonder if, do you consider, are you considering just the Charles Bronson films themselves? Or when you. When no, you get, even if it was an ensemble, because I know for you. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, like, he was a star or he had a strong supporting role, i.e. Yeah, yeah. Gibson 7, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah I, think, I think for him, though, I, I prefer, you know, The Mechanic and Death Wish 3 to even, like, The Great Escape, you know, yeah. personally. I, the Great Escape's a great movie, don't get me wrong, but um, if I'm going to watch something it's between those, it's definitely going to be The Mechanic or Death Wish 3. Nice. Sure. Nice, nice. All right, Miles, how about you, buddy? Uh, I'm trying to think about the, the first time I saw one of these. I, I want to say again, probably Death Wish 3 was the first one for me, too. Nice. Um, cause I only just recently saw the first death wish. I want to say maybe like three years ago. Yep. Um, so the, yeah, my familiarity, my familiarity with the series is probably, um, a little bit newer, I guess. Um, but yeah, but I do remember seeing like the, the trailer and then the poster for, um, death wish five a lot when I was a kid and <laughs> even, even knowing then that it looked like that series was just dying on its feet, and uh, yeah, I don't know. So I had this weird kind of relationship with it um, from the start. But I would say probably favorite Bronson, um, just in terms of probably being the best movie is Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah. But, oh shit! Um, yeah, but Death Wish Three is probably still the one that is easiest to watch for sure. Nice, nice, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely in the conversation for me. I totally forgot about Once Upon a Time in the West. That's fan- obviously a phenomenal film. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I kind of kind of put that slant <laughs> on it a little bit. Because, I, knew that's, I knew that's why you did. <laughs> because I'm sitting there yeah. thinking, do we see that as a Bronson film or do we see that as a Sergio Leone? And see, so that's why I was asking that question. But, you know. Yeah, what, but you know what? Harmonica, yeah. though, is unfuckwithable. Yes. Yeah. For sure. Oh, sure. Yeah. Once Upon a Time in the West, the only reason why I think it works as well as it works, for me personally, is because of Charles Bronson. Yeah, absolutely. Because that could have been an absurd, not an absurd turn. Because Leone is pretty masterful. He is masterful, not pretty. He is, um, but yeah, in the hands of Bronson, in the face of Bronson, it definitely is elevated. No. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna when I when I get around to my favorites, I'm gonna scratch that out of my what I'm gonna mention, just strictly because I think everybody knows that's practically my favorite film of all time. So <laughs> yeah, right. So I'm just thinking, yeah. but I, but I got a couple that I really love that I think some people don't give enough credit. So anyway, uh, yeah, okay. So uh, large William. Let's hear what uh, your first experiences with the Death Wish films were, if you recall. Sure. Well, my my first experience with Bronson period was, I think, actually Death Wish three. Again, I, I'm surprised it's been that for, the through line nice. for all of us. I have That's a foggy notion of also seeing it on TV. It's it's very foggy. In fact, the only rem, um, memory I have of it is seeing like a really shitty rundown building and Bronson with the big gun. And <laughs> that is really what I remember. My dad, I think he, my dad mistakenly called the gun Willie, yeah. and uh, <laughs> as a result, it stuck with me because being William, yeah, yeah, this, yeah. you know, I got the same name as this gun. Um, <laughs> my favorite, my two favorite Bronson films are uh, Hard Times and The Mechanic. Nice. Um, 
they're just tremendous. He's, he's got such a, a really good body of work, as we've all kind of said. There's probably at least 20 films that I think are just worth owning at least in his uh, filmography so yeah yeah that's uh i love that uh the gun the wildy we'll, we'll yeah. see when we'll see when wildy gets into town Wildy's <laughs> <good. laughs> that gun is absolutely ridiculous oh my, it's, 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 it's as long as a baby <laughs> it's unbelievable it's the most ridiculous handgun i've ever seen before in my life makes like the dirty hairy gun seem like a toy like the 44 magnum just seemed like a toy when was 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 um Dirty Harry Four was sudden impact after Death Wish Three. Uh, yeah, I think it was Death Wish. I mean, he gets the forty four automag, which looks very similar in a lot of ways to the Wildy. Not to say that you know there's any connection there at all, but Death Wish Three is eighty five. I think sudden impact's eighty six. Yeah, I think you're right. I think so. so. There we go. I was into the guns at that time, so yeah. I really the forty four auto mag Fortune magazine. Well, yeah. Well, well the thing <laughs> was, the thing was, yeah. this sounds like maybe a little bit of a kind of a reach, but I don't think it is. But in the eighties, it's like every film you kind of the gun was as much a character as the person carrying the gun. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, think about you know missing in action Rambo. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, you remember the guns? They would shoot these guns in this pornographic way. They make, yeah, you know, and you, the guns became something. All right, um, so my I believe in my body as a weapon. <laughs> I don't believe in guns. Yes, you get a lot of miles out of that comment. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, my first experience with Bronson, I have a very colored history with Charles Bronson. Um, my mother was a huge fan, <laughs> and uh, she thought he was a terribly attractive man. <laughs> Which terribly is, attractive, well put. Yeah, it's uh, yes, terribly attractive, yes. And uh, so I, I got to watch a lot of Bronson films growing up. Uh, when we got a VCR, we would rent, rent tons of anything that was Bronson related, we would rent. And uh, so I got to see a lot. But the first experience I remember with Charles Bronson, for me personally, was Kid Galahad. Nice. It was oh, fuck. The Elvis film. Love it. Um, it's pretty crazy to think about now that uh, Charles Bronson, he's worked with so many people. I mean, he's been uh, a couple Vincent Price films for AIP, uh, which I'm still working on one right now called Master of the World, which has got to be seen to be believed. It's on Netflix, by the way. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. The facial hair alone of Vincent Price is insane. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, Wait, the- Kid Galahad, is that the one in New Orleans? Uh, I can't remember where it's set. I just remember Elvis is a boxer. He's got, well... He's not a boxer so much as a guy who just happens to be able to fight, but he's got a killer left or a killer right. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. And Bronson's got—I think he's got a gimpy leg. Am I right, Will? I think. Yeah. It. It. Um, unless I'm mixing it up with another one of Elvis's films, it, it's based on a Harold Robbins novel. Yeah. Oh no, uh, am I thinking of Kid Creole? No, am I thinking of? Yeah, Kid, yeah, Kid Creole. Creole. Okay, that's the one Kid I was. Kid Creole thinking. is, is, that's is my New Orleans. That's my wife's favorite Elvis movie. Is Kid yeah. Creole? Yeah. That's why I was getting confused. Katie you know, what? I don't Fisher. think I've seen Kid Galahad. I have to see this now. Yeah, no, it's 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 pretty good. I mean, well, it's it's an Elvis film, so, so you know. Yeah. Well, you but know, as far I as Elvis films go, it's quite good. Yeah, no, it's, it's it, well, it's an Elvis film and it's a boxing film, so the, all the stereotypes are there. You, I mean, you, you know from frame one how it's going to end, <laughs> so <laughs> so you know, and you know there's going to be some singing along the way. Sadly, not from Bronson, which would have been the icing <laughs> on the cake. Oh boy, he so Elvis rent- gets killed in the ring then. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's how I imagine it. <laughs> Rick, I want to hear um, Bronson's rendition of Clambake. Yes, because <laughs> yes. it would be, it would be about food, Amazing. correct? Yes, it would be about yes. food. Yeah. Clambake, going to have a clambake. Uh, 
but uh, so that was my kind of like my first uh, kind of time I, I saw him. And of course, I'd seen you know the the regular classics of uh, the Great Escape, which came out the year after Kid Galahad, and and the Magnificent Seven, which came out a few years before. Uh, all these things he had popped up in. But even as a kid, I, he had this this face and this look that uh, I couldn't quite explain to you know a seven, eight, nine year old boy. I couldn't quite put into words what attracted me to his acting style, which is essentially. Uh, just a presence, really. I mean, he's not really. Uh, I mean, let's let's be honest here. Charles Bronson is not a great actor. I don't think he's a great actor. I think he's a no. great presence. Yeah, yeah, and, great face and a good actor. I don't. I don't think. I think a good actor is probably as far as you can really go with uh, Charles Bronson. But I don't think for the kind of films he made, he had to be a great actor. So well, he's he's really committed to though, and I think that goes yeah. a long way for yeah. these movies. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um. But uh, my favorites of Bronson's would have to be. Uh, I really like uh, the Valachi Papers, which I'm, nice. well, I'm hoping yeah. we'll hoping we'll cover at some point on the show here. And also one that I think people make fun of a little bit and stuff, but I love it. And it's basically a Jaws ripoff, and that's the White Buffalo. Nice. Mm. Oh, dude, that's one I own that shit, and I have yet to <laughs> finally watch it. It's ridiculous. I, yeah. I totally and I love Jaws knockoff, so I need to see it. Yeah, yeah, the white buffalo is so so cool, so cool, and he is to- he's totally in full catfish mode in uh, in, in the white <laughs> buffalo man, <laughs> the good old catfish mustache. But uh, so that's uh, our experiences with Bronson. Um, okay, so instead of like I said, going into what we've been watching and everything, uh, we're, we got a uh, a big piece of feedback from listeners. And uh, normally we haven't been playing feedback on the regular show. We've been kind of doing it every third or fourth week due to time constraints. But this one we kind of felt like we had to play. And uh, it's a big chunk of feedback. So we wanted to play it live to kind of get reactions and stuff. And uh, I guess kind of toot our own horn a little bit. But really we just wanted to play it live because a lot of work was put into this by Jake McLarge-Huge over at the Podcast Without Honor and Humanity. And uh, we want to thank him for putting this together for us. So if you guys are ready... Uh, I'm just going to start playing this and we'll just go with it. All right. Here we go. Sometimes when we turn, the honesty is too much. And I have to close my eyes. Well, 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 it's finally happened. Big Willie and the Samurai finally getting the podcast up and rolling. Welcome, everybody, to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. I'm your host, the Samurai. And I'm Big Willie. And we have a special guest in the uh, studio today. Uh, I'll go ahead and let this guest introduce themselves. Uh, oh, I'm Bill. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm on that show uh, outside the cinema. Aaron, Death Rattle Aaron, I guess we'll call him on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. The Bryn yep. from uh, Hamicus Podcast. Yeah, certainly. David, the most GGTMC nickname of all time, Alcock. So how you doing, Dave? I'm very good. All the better for speaking to you guys. The one and only Dr. Zom. Hey, hey guys, how you doing? Emily, the deadly doll. Yay! Martin Mike. Eminem. Uh, Eminem, that's right. <laughs> A little bit sweeter, though. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Jake McLarge-Huge from uh, the Podcast Without Honor and Humanity. Hello, guys. Mr. James McCormick. How you doing, James? Pretty good. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. So uh, that introduces our, no- our uh, next guest here, the musky, uh, Metal Mikey. <laughs> just flew in to uh, GTTMC, and boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> we have uh, Mike White. Good morning. Uh, I'm Miles. 
other good pal, Pickle <laughs> Loaf, and we are here to talk about movies. So, I got my slinky. I'm ready to go. <laughs> uh, one Rupert Pupkin from over in the West Coast. You want to say hello, Rupert? Hello there. There he is. <laughs> TL Bug, the lightning bug. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm known as Uncool Cat. This is Zeke. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's Mike Malloy. Hey, yeah. Thanks for having me. Mr. Brian Trenchard-Smith. Hello. <laughs> Happy to be aboard. Indonesian action god, Peter O'Brien. <laughs> very honored to be able to partake in this uh, interview, and it's, it's a great honor. Brian Bosworth, Burt Reynolds, the Burt, as he is known. The Burt. Uh, you know, <laughs> Reggie. Let's just call him Reggie. Reggie Diodato. Reggie. Ted Pryor. Uh, I love uh, Henry Silva's character name, uh, Tony Anianti. We get Robert Zadar as uh, <laughs> Walter Magic. Paco <laughs> Mike Danton. Mike Danton. Enter alongside Peter Goldson. <laughs> we get our boy Jocko. Yes. <laughs> the one and only Wiener himself. <laughs> George Eastman, the indomitable Henry Silva. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about Henry Silva a little bit. Silva, and he, he never changes clothes in this movie. His hair it never moves. Whoa, he's a big one. And her face basically so it's been split down the sternum and it's wide open. And her face is buried inside there while he's sodomizing her. I almost wonder if Henry Silva is responsible for the legend known as Peter North. Let's talk about George Eastman a little bit. Travolta had dancing. Michael Douglas has bare ass shots. Eastman has arm wrestling. Yes. Involved. Yeah, I have to go with the brothers, even though George Eastman came a close second. The only thing that hurt George Eastman was he was only in the film for like, you know, five minutes. He came in, got a paycheck, did some arm wrestling, brought his pet snake. Come in and kiss the wiener. Wrestle Blanco. It makes no sense, but it is, it's awesome. I mean, it is just awesome. If, if for anything else, the white leather skinny tie. He does this with a 1980s skinny tie on. Now, let me add to let me add to the skinny tie because it's a white leather skinny tie, and once you had mentioned that to me when I rewatched it, he's also wearing a white members only jacket, which you know right there, right there, that's gold headband, a cut off sweatshirt, oh, and Zubaz pants. We see mohawks, fohawks, shaved heads. We see kabuki theater style makeup. We see just your standard uh, sports black paint under the eyes makeup. We see S and M leather. You got squibs, you got slow mo, you got some, you know, some good gore effects. Elbows, knives, like <laughs> there's a lot of penetration and just pounding, and it's uh, and there's finger gloves. We got flaming crossbows, we have <laughs> gas dart crossbows, shotguns, rifles, machine guns, Molotov cocktails, pistols, mm -hmm. broadswords, samurai swords, hammers, baseball bats, three hundred percent more oil drums. <laughs> And office supplies. A six foot five black cowboy wearing nothing but an assless cod piece. He promptly gets a spiked baseball bat to the gut and an axe to the face. Every seduction scene or sex scene with Boucher revolves around farm animals or, or food in some way. Basically, the love theme throughout the film, but uh, they play it over the opening of Homeless People for some reason. But I don't get turned off by standing. I watch a lot of porn. I would rather have sex with Rip Torn than that female officer. Just hanging out around the cows and rubbing milk on her body. It's hot, unpasteurized milk getting rubbed on her tits and on her muff. I was waiting for him to say, look, motherfucker, milk that cow. Bang, 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 bang. You know, the flesh is pounded flesh. Flesh is pounded flesh. Boom, juicy cum shot. Very misogynistic and, uh, yeah, a lot of good stuff. The scene where he's wearing a fucking buccaneer outfit and fucking working out with a stick. Stop my back. <laughs> 
Gary Busey runs like Steven Seagal, which is to say he runs like a T-Rex with short arms. As he tears a man's throat out, oh, ninja stars the hunk of throat at another man and kills him with it. It, it's, it may be the most gratuitous vagina shot I've ever seen with clothing on. It's like I'm watching the guy's box, and of course, what's the first place I look at when I'm watching dude's box? I'm looking at the crotch, which isn't really a love scene as much as a scene of desperation and sweat. But, and uh, nipple sucking. Yes. His nuts were swinging around like two mice in a Crown Royal bag. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out, what is his finishing move there? Is it suffocation by penis in the face? Him sodomizing his wife at the dinner table with the burning steaks. Oh, it's somehow the smell of his wife's asshole in this burnt steak <laughs> harkens him back to the sweaty black man. I don't, but I'll tell you, with hair like that, why shouldn't he be able to sodomize his wife at the dinner table? I mean... Uh, we did, we, 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 you know, we get a fisting, uh, well, an implied fisting. I had the coin purse flap going on. You ever had your cock sucked by a man? You ever had your pole smoked? <laughs> Call it a hunch. I don't suspect my wife would be overly enamored with the problem. Aspect of me having the microphone near Chocha. They, you know, what's not to like? You're a brilliant mind, this and that. You got beautiful tits. The, the mixture of oh, cigarettes Jesus. and earwax would be a sexy musk unto itself. Oh, God. Have a nice aftertaste. Let me get another snake on the grill and lube up my butthole for you there, Stingray. <laughs> Pissing goldfish tanks all the time in my free time. Still a good looking man. Me and Wolf talked about that off the air. That's a private conversation. Need my rim shot handy. I don't have it handy. Probably because I'm getting a rim job while I'm doing the show. It's pacifier by hand. He's like looking at it like, like a dog wanting a treat, man. Here you go, Chief. There you go. Yeah, I hear you, buddy. He's like smiling and shit. Is he the white gangster or the black gangster? Well, he'd be playing Martin Luther King. I hope he's a black gangster. How death can result from penetration of less than an inch. Less than an inch. You can die. Oh, Jesus. That's pretty spooky. And also... Uh, Prevalent in my love life. Dude, I wear pink. I just don't wear pink belly shirts. What is up with you the know? Hawaiian shirts, man? I used to wear Hawaiian shirts, and I, I think I quit wearing them because of all the scumbags. I would have had hair like Don the Dragon too. The tough tits dynamic duo. 50-year-old uh, tough tits. He had some good tough tits for a man of his age. I mean, he really did. In this film especially, which is chiseled cheeks. Oh, boy, there's a lot of chiseled cheeks, man. A lot of oiled asses. A lot of chiseled cheeks on the oiled asses to go with the tough tits. William's doing his mic then on top of his toy box. Nice. (laughs) We need to teach him to say, Danton! There is a ton of fucking mustaches in this film. Just the whole scene that have him having to eat the worm and then spitting in his hand and stroking the worm to clean it. It just, it's just. And there's a scene in a paper mache dungeon. Was it just my imagination, or did she cut her hair with a pencil sharpener? My MVT is going to be a little fucking weird, but I'm going to be honest with you. But it's going to be uh, Pacino's hair. I was almost brought to tears by the beauty of the mullets and feathered hair in the symphony that were playing at the wedding. They were awesome. Oh, they were excellent. I mean, they they should have had their own credit in the cast. I mean, first class mullets, first class feathered hair. Yeah, those you mullets were so more. strong that if Ramon would have bitten down, he probably would have broke his alligator teeth. I'd seen that guy. Where'd I see that guy? And I thought about it. And I thought, oh yeah, members only jacket. Oh whoa, that's Raiders of Atlantis. No shit. There you go. I tell you what, if you want to ever save on special effects, though, thinking about that swamp scene stuff, have Richard Lynch stand in the middle of the swamp. Have tears coming out of his eyes and then just have him swing his sword at a lighting machine. I will peel your skin off with a knife dipped in shit. It explains why he wants me to lay on his stomach. Christ, we're not hunting him. He's hunting us. 
<laughs> and, and the Eddie Ojeda character, just without saying anything, just looks at the guy and shoots him in the forehead. Like, <laughs> there's, you know, it opens with him uh, training. There's a lot of shots, for some strange reason, up of his uh, leg line, up to his crotch from below. <laughs> I don't know what that was up with. Oh, you know, a little, little homoerotic type filmography there. I don't know what's going on, but the way that hit Nerf. I mean, I'm not going to say that when I was a kid, I didn't, you know, try to eat a worm one time on the day. <laughs> yeah, I've lost a fingernail to a Tic Tac case. Those things are deadly. We do get military issue Daisy Dukes in this. He has what can only be described as a very extreme <laughs> mullet. Crunchy, wet movie. Cry because she cries like Paul Bearer of wrestling fame talks. <laughs> oh, God. I'll tell you what we do see. We do see costume teeth that are more awkward and cumbersome. Uh, I don't care how small that muskrat was. You're not eating it with those costume teeth in. Crazy. I've never, been, I've never seen a movie where they repel an unconscious body down in a bag on a rope. He just killed him. Why does he need to break his back? Because he's kind of a troubled cyborg. I told my father about his, his activity. And I'm like, he's watching your chubby ass swim. What the big? What's the big deal? Look at us. We're huge. <laughs> it's all over, sports fans. If only you weren't so good in bed, I'd kill you right now. <laughs> Jesus Christ, no. Yeah. Oh Christ. Never say never. <laughs> we can't make movies. Let's make some instructional videos. Are you familiar with the Mexican sacatripe, which is used to gut sheep or other warm animals? It felt hard. Extremely hard. And, uh, what is this? Batman. Sure, for you, anything. Bullshit yeah. or not. If yeah. you're hiding, I'll break your fucking neck. Hello, my little turd balls. Hey, how's it going? My name's uh, Cliff, better known as Night Stalker. <laughs> now, it seems that Cooper fell in love with a Cambodian girl. Who's here? I'm here. Yeah. You're here. I close my eyes forever. <laughs> you raped me, Daddy. Don't hurt that face, baby. Don't hurt that face. <laughs> Come on, Fido. You're going to have to eat your grub if you want to be a stud. <laughs> <laughs> Look, motherfucker, clean my shoes. Look, motherfucker, clean my shoes. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <clears throat> I got chills and multiplying And I'm losing oh, control Cause of power you're supplying. It's electrifying. <laughs> you better shape up. Cause I need a man. And my heart is set on you. You better shape up. You better understand. To my heart, I must be true. You're the one I want. You're the one I want. You're the one that I want. You're the one that I want. You're the one that I need. Oh, yes, indeed. If you're filled with affection, you're too shy to convey. Meditates in my direction. Your way. <laughs> I better shape up because you need a man to keep me satisfied. Better shape up. I'm gonna prove you better prove 
that my faith is justified. Are you sure? You said the show can be justified. You're the one that I want. Oh Lord. Guess who just got back today? Those wild-eyed boys that have been away Haven't changed, haven't much to say But man, I still think them cats are crazy <laughs> They're asking if you're around <laughs> How you was where you could be found <laughs> Told them you were living downtown Driving all the owner crazy The boys are back in town, the boys are back in town Yeah, alright I said, the boys are back in town, the boys are back in town. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> I'm like dying with anticipation as to who's going to be singing first. <laughs> Here we stand. Ah, Jake. Worlds apart, hearts broken no. in two. Maybe not. Who is that? Two. Two. Sounds pretty good. Sleepless nights. Steve Perry better watch his ass. Losing yeah. ground, I'm reaching for you. 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 <laughs> Feeling that it's gone. <laughs> Is that Charles Bronson singing? No, I still love you. No, we touched it with our separate ways. <laughs> oh, Lord. This is what Jake was waiting for. <laughs> oh, my. Tonight it's very clear. As we're both lying here <laughs> There's so many things I want to say <laughs> I will always love you <laughs> I will never leave you alone Oh my God Sometimes I just forget <laughs> Say things I might regret it breaks my heart to see you crying. I don't want to lose you. <laughs> I could never <laughs> Oh, yeah, baby. Here we go. 
Pussy. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, that's the whole feedback piece. <laughs> uh, oh, my Lord. That's an amazing little piece of performance art. <laughs> that is, uh, that's incredible. That wow. is. Uh, I'm laughing and crying and, and dying over here. I mean, I am, it's like a thousand degrees where I'm sitting right now because I'm, oh, I'm both touched and molested at the same time. Oh, guys, that's that's really nice, Jake. And uh, it's 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 very odd to hear some of the stuff we've said over the years. I can't believe some of that stuff I've said. <laughs> Holy Jesus! Some choice uh, nuggets in there for sure. There were. Uh, I also want to. I just want to call out some of the people. Well, the people that I know were involved as per Jake's um, email. I want to say thank you on behalf of Sammy and I, to them. Uh, Bernie, Demise, Chris, Matsuzaka, Emily, Ghetto Tim, Davey, uh, Mike Marchese, Marchese, uh, Paul, Todd, and Ryan. Guys, thanks so yes. much. I, I can't even tell you how... I know, Sammy, you feel the same, man. Just how, how happy it makes us to hear people do something like that for us. It, yeah, I, I mean, I joke around, but the tears I have are literally... From laughing and from just being, I mean, I'm blown away by that. I really am. It's incredible, man. And I can't believe I ever used the words troubled cyborg on the show. <laughs> we all have at some point. He's a troubled cyborg. Uh, I, yeah, I would say that, that it, it perfectly sums up our show, too, that whole piece, because there is nothing that speaks more to the GGTMC than a Peter Cetera love song. Yes. Yeah, that, that's especially with some of the outfits he used to wear. All right. Uh, normally we would uh, take a break, but what I planned on doing after playing all this and everything, uh, just kind of going right into Death Wish and then taking a break on the other two. <clears throat> um, but I think I'll go ahead and play a break anyway, because I, I think I need a second to uh, refill my coffee, if that's okay with you guys. And to wipe your leather chair off. That's good. <laughs> all right. So we're going to take a short break and we're going to come back and talk uh, Death Wish. Uh, we'll be back right after this. It was a childhood corrupted by endless hours of VHS rentals. We're sick, the manager, you'd love it. And his most formative years, 
He had seen it all. I can handle anything. Action. <laughs> Karate is not to be used aggressively. But if I have no other choice. Horror. <laughs> and romance. Now he's decided it's time to go back. For just one more adventure. Humans are such easy prey. Noel Miller presents. You're the problem, little shit. The Adventures in VHS podcast. Join me, Noel Miller, as each month I take an in-depth look at one movie from my collection of ex-rental 80s VHS classics and speak to one or two of the people involved with making them about what the format means to them. The Adventures in VHS podcast. Thank you. Have a nice day. Download today from iTunes by searching for Adventures of VHS or visit adventuresofvhs.com. there from scott burton and the boys that actually does fit the kind of death wish theme we're going with a little bit i thought <laughs> yes. that might be some herbie hancock there yeah. that's nice yeah, yeah. too actually that's a good friend of ours uh, indeed yeah good friend of ours uh he uh, has a little uh a music musical group there and they do this kind of a uh, euro crime tinge type material and it's fucking awesome anyway uh that's my way of promoting something i guess <laughs> anyway all right so uh here we go death wish the first one in this uh uh, uh well cherished series of films uh 1974 directed by michael winter uh a new york city architect becomes a one-man vigilante squad after his wife is murdered by street punks in which he randomly goes out and kills would-be muggers on the mean streets after dark uh, so that's the basic plot synopsis. Um, Large Williams is going to take the lead on this one. So let's talk Death Wish. All right. So uh, we kind of touched on it without out and out saying it. Um, something I didn't remember until I watched the film this time was that Herbie Hancock scored the film, which <laughs> which is pretty surprising and pretty impressive. The series, the first three at least, I can't speak on the fourth and fifth ones, but they all have. Um, uh, pretty credible people doing the the scores for the films. We had Jimmy Page. I think he was material he used from two, just reused in three. Is that how that went? That's what it seems like. Yeah, yeah. but uh, it's still Herbie Hancock, man, legendary musician. So. Yeah, I don't think uh, Jimmy Page was officially on three. I think they just kind of regurgitated it. Yeah, I always had. He gets a- the score credit, yeah. but it's very much a dinky Casio version of the second score. Yep. Yeah, what a yeah, love. I think they just wholesale lifted a couple of the the great sounds that he did for oh, two. <laughs> yeah, which which I, I've turned into ringtones. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that specific sound we can go into it later, but yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so this film, this film is very clearly. It's going to be funny to talk about these films in progression because. <laughs> Um, this one I'd seen the most out of all three, actually, that we're reviewing today, out of all the series for that matter. Um, 
this film is is pretty res- is at least in some part responsible for a lot of the films we cover on the show from Italy, uh, vigilante films, uh, i.e., Street Law, which there's some debate because Street Law was in production at the same time that Street Law was first or was this first. But anyway, without this film's international success, the Italians wouldn't have made as many vigilante films as they had of, and as a result, the genre of Eurocrime may not be quite what it was without this film. So it's interesting how that had a ripple effect. Um, Now, the film opens with something, despite being the tamest of the the three, of of the whole series, uh, it it opens in very overblown GGTMC fashion because we get Bronson on the beach, tough tits, and what I've what I like to call a zebras, <laughs> which is a zebra print speedo. <laughs> it's uh, incredible. No, it I mean, is. It is, and you get to see the specimen that is Charles Bronson in his early fifties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's chiseled, man. So yeah, you know he. Uh, I didn't look like I didn't look like that in my twenties, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, he he was a specimen, certainly. And what you know, what was was kind of funny about the film was that they kind of allude to him being a voyeur and an exhibitionist. Yeah, with his wife, yeah. he wants to make love on the beach. He's taking these you know risque photos for the time of her and and whatnot. Um, I think there's a there's a I, I hate to say this, but I think there's a through line there. I think um, that explains the kind of discomfort that random violence brings with the kind of comfort he has in public. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is to say, the security he feels by being able to do anything and everything he wants to do in public kind of gets taken from him, raped, so to speak. Absolutely. So uh, I know that might be giving Michael Winter a lot of credit. Well, but, <laughs> but I think that's, that's valid because I think Winter's a good filmmaker and he's, a, he's intelligent enough that there would have been a correlation between um, Paul Kersey one in a long line of um, Charles Bronson playing or having, you know, been employed in a, in a, uh, in an occupation that is kind of outside of what you would expect Bronson to play, whether it's a watermelon farmer, et cetera. But, <laughs> you know, it definitely, I think fits in with that. The architect, the architect, Paul Kersey, the uh, willful, what is it? Willful, uh, willful objector. Oh, conscientious conscientious objector. That's what it is. Yeah. You hear that a lot in this series. A lot in this one. And then back in the third one, it comes back. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is 1974, and and this is a New York City that, between kind of you know 74 and 84, let's say, when New York was at its height cinematically in some respects, at least in in terms of our wheelhouse, it's really kind of scuzzy. It's got character, um, and one of the things I, I like about seeing this film is you notice when the film's out on the streets, and this certainly isn't an anti um, large corporation uh, rant, but it's so interesting that not once do you see sort of a chain store. It's all independent stores, which I thought was kind of fascinating to see this, these streets lined with independent sort of mom-and-pop operations. Yeah. It's really a snapshot of the time. Yeah. Sign of the times, for sure, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this film was shot by Arthur Ornitz. I can't say off the top of my head without looking into his filmography anything else he's done, but I was struck watching this now with a critical eye how well this one is shot. Yeah. I'm going to look oh, into yeah. that right now because that's a good point. Yeah, right. I was really impressed with it. He uh, shot, shot Serpico the year before. There you oh. go. So he's a Paramount guy. That's interesting. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. But this film uh, does something that the other films also do, which kind of set us up into the world that we're thrust into. They have the um, like the stats. Like, this was 15 murders a week, and, you know, there, there's 
all these concerned citizens, like one of uh, Bronson's uh, fellow employees where he works, at the firm he works at, he's lamenting that decent people will have to uh, work in the city and live elsewhere. And he goes so far as to say that underprivileged people should live in concentration camps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah no. it's, it's a really, I mean, <laughs> just that the, that opening scene is like, wow, we've got some kind of perspective on this. That's um, interesting. Pro- progressive is not the word I would use. <laughs> no, no, it, there's certainly a divide between the classes, which uh, I don't think is touched on a lot in the series, but you can see it with... Um, Kirstie's, uh some of his co-workers certainly. Yeah, well, this is a this film is a heavy, well, it's a heavily political film. I don't know if at yeah. the time they were trying to make a film this political. It's very social. Uh, yeah, it's a, it, but it is heavily political, and so much so as to go from you know liberal ideas to right wing ideas. I mean, I don't even know if they were using right wing back then, but let's just say nowadays. Oh sure, it's it's. It's just insane some of the dialogue in this film and yeah. how it, it kind of applies to the modern, the modern kind of mores. Is that a word? More yeah. more eels. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they kind of suck on the shark. No, yeah. uh, no, no. But you're, you're you're absolutely right, and it is something that it it, uh, it is a, like a lot of the um, Italian films of the time. So they had a bit of a fascist bent, you know, taking things into their own hands to kind of. Uh, ineffectual liberals and and how that clearly you know you need to to take charge of and, and clean the streets of the scum uh, and there is some great scum in this in Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> Let me tell you something, yeah. guys. Looks pretty. He looks pretty ski. He looks pretty oily in this film. Yeah. Do you guys do you guys realize how many people are in this film? Yeah, there's a lot. I yeah. mean, there's Hope Lang, Vincent Gardenia, who. Is actually it's good. Oddly, it's Gardenia's second time on the show to bring it full circle. His first time, of course, the big racket, the Enzo yeah. Castellari film. Yeah, that's right. But they, there's small roles in here from Christopher Guest of all people. Yeah, I know. Yeah, uh, Olympia Dukakis. Yeah, Paul Dooley. Paul Dooley. Zsa Zsa Gabor. Yeah. yeah, Paul Dooley. I saw Jaja. Really? <laughs> yeah, Jaja's in there as one of the street thugs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Denzel Washington, Ali Mugger number Whoa. one. Yeah, I saw him this time. That's actually the first time I saw I him until I saw it in the credits. Uh, but Willie you know Boom the- Boom Washington's in there. Lawrence Hilton yeah. Jacobs, uh, Boom Boom Washington. John That's Hertzfeld right. plays one of the train muggers. John Hertzfeld oh, went on to direct. 15 minutes, two days in the valley. He also did the Inferno documentary for Stallone. Um, Limpy Dukakis is in here as well. Yeah. And the one that I, for some reason, hadn't realized, maybe because the last time I watched this film was before I'd seen The Friends of Eddie Coyle, but the great, great and uh, you know pretty tragic circumstances surrounding him dying. So Stephen Keats, yep. Jackie Brown himself as um, Bronson's son-in-law, Jack Toby. Yeah, Jack Toby. That's why I recognized him. That's why yeah. I recognized. It took me a second because his hair is a lot shorter in this, but the accent and the teeth and everything. The and teeth are a big giveaway. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the teeth are a giveaway, and so is the fur collared coats. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but Keats is a great New York actor, and uh, it made me want to oh, watch uh, Eddie Coyle again. Yep. Uh, born and raised in the Bronx, died in, in uh, New York City. Fuck, he was. It wasn't even fifty, man. Yeah, he's forty-nine years old. Yeah, it's it's sad. Um, but uh, yeah, you said Denzel Washington. This is actually Denzel's first known credit. That's crazy. Ali Mugger number one. Yeah, um, I liked some of the the. It, despite them seeming obvious now, I think kind of subtle touches to you know for the kind of film it is. Like they try to use um, some shorthand to get across some of the emotional weight of of 
how Kersey is impacted. For example, showing a lot of the family photos and how uh, basically the circumstance or the, the the environment that Kersey lives in has just been it's shattered. And having the attack take place at the home is something that's a fear, I think, of all of us being, you know, people that are in domestic situations. We we have our homes and to have our homes and our whereas really our inner sanctum, our you know where we can go, our fortress of solitude. To have that shattered um, through violence and to be have it desecrated and defamed, and to have uh, all that happen, it certainly is a pretty powerful thing. And like you said, when we it cuts back and forth to the photos and how you know that that time and that snapshot in Kirstie's life it can be no more. Yeah. They do a good job of that, I think, with kind of punctuating it. I guess that kind of brings up a question I kind of had for all of us. Do you think that one of the reasons why this series worked as much as it did is because it kind of keys in on a primal thing that's in that's in all of us in some way? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I think that's definitely at least in the first one and sort of coming out from that. But I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the first one. I think that probably I haven't read the source novel, but I would think the the sort of politicized atmosphere and um you know some of the deeper themes probably come from that novel in some respects yeah Yeah. Yeah. um but yeah i think you're totally right rick i think that's definitely something that resonates in a big way you know yeah Yeah, it kind of comes to our base nature right i mean you know the only thing that separates us from the animals is that we know we're not animals so Mm -hmm. or at least we like to think that we're not animals so we choose to not be primitive creatures not that's not a it's not a. Uh, I mean, it's not natural, really, to be a primitive creature. Because really, the natural thing would be to be, you know, survivalist and everything else. Really, if you think about it, because that's what animals are. But we choose as a civilization to not do that. And I think that still, after all of these years, the initial scenes that always get Cursey going again. Well, maybe not so much in three, but <laughs> definitely in one and two. Really, really, really bother me. <laughs> yeah. No, they yeah. do. They they hold up. I mean, thirty forty years on. Yeah, I mean, I think they the violence is well. very it's it's very nasty, and uh, which is how violence should feel. In a film like this, certainly, which you 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 have to convey how he's going to feel and how it has to thrust you into the position of how would you feel when this is in your face? Yes, yes. Well, Jeff Goldblum definitely puts it in the face. <laughs> yeah, that I'd totally forgotten about that specifically, and just how disturbing that is. Years on. I'm like I didn't have any attachments to Goldblum, <clears throat> probably when I first saw it, and I really, I mean, I've heard he's kind of a, a douchey guy, but but that's um, unfortunate. Well, you know, you never know. That's probably that's maybe apocryphal. I have no idea, but but regardless, I have a lot of. Um, he carries a lot of weight with me now. I like him quite a bit as an actor, mm-hmm. and to see him in that scene is all the more disturbing because I just forgotten how. He acts and what he does, and it was just a lot, a lot um, more unpleasant than I remembered. It's also his first credit, it should be said. Did California split right after this? Nice. Yeah, they went in the Altman run. That's right. Yep, went on the Altman run. Yeah, because doesn't he? um, Does he wear those big headphones in Nashville? Is that what he wears, or is that Duval? Shelley Duval. 
I don't remember. I, I remember in Nashville. I remember he some. Uh, I, he had roller skates. He had some sort of prop or something. He was always that was he had a big old him. motorcycle, like a, a three wheeler. Yeah, I think it was like a, called himself Nashville. called himself tri- he tricycle some man. Kind of headgear too. Tricycle something, man. Yes. Yeah, tricycle man's what he was known as on that film. So. <laughs> You know, Winner does something right in this film that I often criticize people in films. Films, when there's funerals in films, there's always like three people. Yeah. And in this one, the funeral's done right. There's a full, like there's a large amount of people. It's it's winter time. There's snow. And it looks like a, an actual funeral instead of hang, three people. Hang on one second. I almost thought you said it's winter time. Like W I N N E R. That shot of Bronson is awesome too, though. It almost looks like a like a Frank Miller, like Daredevil mm. era kind of drawing. Oh, I, I love that call, shot. Man. Yeah, good call, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Very noirish. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the way the snow plays against it too, it's it's awesome. I was gonna say with with the street gang stuff. I didn't want to interrupt anybody, but um, I. <laughs> It's really funny to me because there is a major shift with the street gang and how I look at them in the film. Because when they first pop up, it's like only an actor would conceive of a street gang being or acting like that with just really <laughs> yeah. broad, like, you know, the, all that kind of stuff. Like, uh, just super actorly, like, hey, I'm going to cut you, man, and like all that. And, and then, but as soon as they do delve into that rape scene and rape slash murder scene, it's, uh, it does kind of change the stakes of it, and you see them a little bit differently, or at least I felt like I did. No, you do, because we're used to them kind of being buffoons. It, not harmless, but the, yeah. the stakes definitely get raised when, yeah, when you, we see you, you could see those guys at the supermarket and just be like, oh, this fucking idiot kid. It's not yeah. produce so, over. <laughs> not necessarily the guys who are going yeah. to destroy and shape you know your life forever yeah those guys yeah. knocking those guys are knocking melons off the shelves you know that shit don't float bro no. not with the Charles <laughs> Bronson movie. but you, you got a good point there actually if you think about all of the gangs and all of the death wish films they're right. all incredibly broad acting and we we get at least one actor that we all recognize from something else uh you know in yeah that gang too yeah yeah and yeah at it's least. like to be an up and comer in Hollywood, you had to be in a Death Wish film and you had to play. Uh, <laughs> you had to rape Charles Bronson's wife. <laughs> oh. Oh. Yeah. No, I was going to say, like, I don't know if it was this film or the combination of the three, but I saw them enough that it affected me in a similar way that Jaws did, mm. where I, I still to this day have sort of a fear of the ocean and. You know, um, when my wife and I went on our honeymoon in Hawaii, we were snorkeling off one of the islands, and I kept looking out into the ocean underwater, just kind of expecting fucking Jaws to be coming at me. But anyway, um, this had a similar effect in that, like, I still have sort of a nervous feeling when I'm in the city at night sometimes, even though I know it's probably irrational, but that's sort of... No, you have a family. (laughs) It's it's very rational. Yeah. When you're an adult, you realize the stakes... I was talking to um, Matt from Angels from the Skeleton podcast last night uh, about how I was traveling to Mexico and how I, you know, beaked off to some locals in a strip club at like one in the morning. And as a 22 year old, I thought, oh, I lift weights. I can mop the floor with these guys, not realizing <laughs> that they could slip my throat and throw me in a ditch and it would be nothing to them. Yeah. Um, and that's just the thing. When we're older, we realize the stakes. Yeah, yeah there's, it's totally logical, right? Yeah. But it's, but, but it's just the, the idea that psychologically it's, affected me just the the atmosphere you know that this establishes this sense of fear uh on the streets kind of thing um it just really got to me yeah. in a big way 
Also, yeah, you were looking out into the ocean, but people in the ocean were looking back saying, look at that guy in the zebra print Speedo. <laughs> exactly. Which, He's got you know, a real prime figure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to love his how he sweet talks his wife. <laughs> prime figure. Yeah, prime figure. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. Um, this film, too, you know, certainly in case anyone hasn't seen the films, is the most tame and is the most grounded in reality of the three. Two is sort of has one foot on each side. Well, you know, it's funny you mention that because Zom on the Facebook group said after two they got silly, but really after one, if you really want to get technical, two yeah. two is pretty silly two, in some two ways. Two is pretty silly, oh, yeah. but in contrast or comparison to three, it's 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 still grounded in some reality. <laughs> well, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's to most... its detriment, I have to say, and not to give away too much about how I feel about Death Wish Two, but oh, it almost, you know, I think it it, it it works better in the Death Wish context or the death wish three context go all the way one or the other yeah yeah that's how i feel about it personally it's a transitional it's it's interesting because it's a transitional film you can definitely see the transition they were going with but i can justify the transition which i'll do in my review yeah okay um this one looks like a movie too and yes by the time you get to death wish 2 it already looks like the watered down version of this movie that we got yeah yeah but also, let's not forget i guess i'll get to when we get the review but i'm i'm hinting at it now it became a canon product so yes. oh, yeah. oh for sure that's definitely a transition yeah and a shift right so yeah it changed um but uh i like in this one um how it escalates for paul kersey like you know in some films it automatically be like he was at the shooting range and we see he's a crack shot and he was ex-special forces or something and i like in this that it starts off with him carrying a roll of quarters yeah and and it kind of escalates as he gets more comfortable with that it wouldn't you wouldn't thrust yourself into carrying you know two desert eagles i remember Roger or ordering Ebert. weapons through the mail or whatever. Yeah, yes. right. <laughs> yeah. yeah don't even get me started on that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that a lot going forward. Um, absolutely. Sorry. Let me say, uh, no. Roger Ebert talking about this film, talking about the most poignant scene in the film, and I have to agree for me, the most poignant scene in this film, after he commits the first killing, mm-hmm. he gets physically ill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because and the way the, he runs, too. Yeah, he runs because, it's not out of fear for yeah. legal ramifications. It's... It's fear for what he's just done and what he's becoming. Yeah, because this is not a violent man. This is a man that's consumed by rage and revenge and uh, frustration with and, the system. And, and probably the most interesting thing about this film is it really is um, he's out he's out to fight the the dynamic of gangs and bad people in this in this film. Whereas mm-hmm. in the rest of the films it's actual true revenge he's actually going after the actual people that's right which there's more of a taxi driver element to it in this first one than there is just a straight vigilante kind of b picture yeah Mm -hmm. yeah if if, if there's moments in this film where it feels totally like taxi driver too yeah i've never heard also i'm sorry oh for sure yeah no no you're right i've never heard schrader talk about death wish but you gotta imagine the phenomenon that it was he had to have seen it and you know yeah. maybe read the source yeah. novel. I mean, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, you can't deny that there's probably some sort of at least subconscious influence on Taxi Driver yeah. only two years later or whenever it was. Agreed. Agreed. I'll try to zip through my notes. I mean, we have four people to talk about this. Um, a couple of things. Like, there's some images in this that, that certainly, you know, uh, Winner's trying to say something. We get a few shots of the hangman's noose in this, that sort of frontier justice. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is really kind of the whole 
essence of the film. Well, you get um, that. You get the Western town, which is interesting. Yeah, but which absolutely Charles Bron- meta for Bronson to yeah. be watching. Mm-hmm. And happen. the smile on his face while he's watching Frontier Justice. You know. Yeah. yeah. And I think too, just in that moment, it kind of has the rationalization of gun freedoms by um, someone who is uh, a gun nut. Right, the justification for right. owning a you know a, an absurd amount of firearms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, my wife pointed this out, and I never realized it. When Bronson puts on glasses, like he wears some pretty thick glasses in this, he looks like fucking Geraldo Rivera. <laughs> oh my god, that's <laughs> So I had to give her credit for that because I'd, I'd never seen it before. So. <laughs> Um, the assistant cop, Gardenia, who I love, and I love in this, uh, his assi- the other cop that works on what a stash on that guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's, he should have projected a little more, a little more type A instead of type B. Um, I like Gardenia's choice to always play ill. Yes. It, he's it, coughing it's, in like every scene. <laughs> sneezing, sniffling. Yeah. Um, or almost sneezing. It's like he showed up and he's like, you know what? This is just a cop. Let yeah. me let me do something to kind of make me stand out from the rest. <laughs> Just uh, two final notes I have. Um, I do think that like the the media saturation in this became a bit ridiculous. Like every billboard in the city, every magazine cover, every TV show, every newspaper article, every cover for every newspaper <laughs> was all about everybody the in the restaurant has to turn every, around yeah. and watch. <laughs> Yeah, it just it became a little much in that regard. Like, okay, we get it, you know, but it's it just seemed a bit much. It was it um, was it was a pop culture film before, uh, you know, like Jaws became a pop culture film, and yeah. But it, it's really strange when you think about '74 and a film that's essentially about violence being a pop culture film. <laughs> it's yeah. pretty crazy because you know the shark I can see being pop culture. Star Wars I can see pop culture. Even John Travolta dancing I can see pop culture. But when I think about vigilantism and how pop culture that became it's very odd well I've, again i think it's the, the same reason i i think i remember i don't know if it was ron howard or it was in the context of a bunch of people talking about seeing star wars and how it was at a time when the right and the left had just been at each other's throats for so long that it was just kind of nice to sit back and watch this this thing and and nice. and just enjoy it mm-hmm. and i feel like this is obviously still a really politically charged time as far as vietnam and other things and oh, just yeah. the idea of Violence. So that's that's on on a certain level. I can see how it might have become a phenomenon, but but yeah, it is kind of a weird thing. I agree. It's it's not your it's not a popcorn movie like like Jaws is by any stretch no. or Star Wars. Um, sorry, two final things. I think when Gardenia he's he's um, going into Kirsty's apartment to investigate. Even then, before sort of CSI. Isn't it a little bit bait to smoke a cigar when you're in someone else's apartment? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, and to make some weird, like, cartoonish aside to the camera, basically, when he sees <laughs> that uh, photo of him on the magazine yeah. cover, just like that. Does, <laughs> does anybody else find it odd, though, that at one point, doesn't he sniff a, a thing of blood? Yeah, I think so. Why is he, sniffing, why is he sniffing that? That's just odd. I can't get me. enough of the handful of pennies smell. <laughs> um, I love the final shot in this film. Oh, I was going to say, I, I made a yeah. note of that too. Great final love, shot. Love, love, love. Yeah. That's it for me. All right. Anybody else want to go before me? Anybody else got a few things they want to add? I got a, I got a couple things, right. I guess. Rick, as you know, um, I took a lot of notes, but I'll uh, <laughs> yes. to go first. Yeah. Just make, just make <laughs> sure you mind. edit those down for me, Miles, please. Yeah, yeah. Miles, if you could just get it down to two. Don't scribble them off as we talk here. <laughs> 
Um, when I see Dino De Laurentiis presents yeah. on a movie, I know that shit's going to get nutty in the last reel. <laughs> um, and this is actually one of the tamest films he's ever been a part of. And I don't know if that was like, because he did other work for Paramount. So I don't know if they were just in a very prestige mode in the Godfather type place, you know, where they're trying to keep it, you know, not too outlandish and very literary and whatnot. But yeah, it's it's surprising how tame this movie is considering, you know, that it's a Dino thing, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, totally. But um, this movie is also my intro to the word vigilante in general. Mm. Uh, I, I would later become a huge fan of the Punisher uh, comic book series. Um, but I'm sure that this movie was partially an influence. Just this idea. Yeah, it is kind of, Rick, that thing you were talking about, that primal sense of like, um, you know, how civilized we try to be in the face of horrible, horrible acts of, you know, violence by criminals. Right. Uh, and, and how you just have this sense of, uh, you know, try, your initial in, instinct might be sort of an eye for an eye kind of thing. But then, of course, if you think about it more, you realize that, that doesn't really solve anything. But just this idea of, of somebody kind of going off book and, you know, taking it into their own hands is, is just, I don't know, there's something oddly fascinating about that. Yeah, yeah. Just can't put my finger on it. And it's the older you get, too. I think the older I get, the more fascinating it becomes. And especially now for me with having a child, it's, uh, you know, you put yourself in those scenarios. If somebody was to get into my house and threaten my child, what would I do? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's just, that's absolutely terrifying. And something that to this day sort of keeps me up at night. You know, you hear a little noise here and there. You're just like, yeah. well, the hell not was that, that? Not that I wouldn't have done that back before I had the child, I should say. You know, my wife. No, no, I mean. but absolutely when you've got <laughs> the kids there, then it's just like... Next level, man. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, um, because it does become next level. It becomes, you know, I would, you know, immediately in my head, I think I would fucking kill that motherfucker. Yeah. You know? no, I mean, it's just, I mean, it sounds kind of frightening, but at the same time, that just you, you can't that can't happen you, they yep. can't you know wh- mm-hmm. whether it would be at the risk of my own life uh, there's just no question right that's that's got to stop <laughs> basically yeah. yeah um yeah. but yeah so um you know great score from herbie hancock really oh, yeah. again sort of adds to the prestige you know Definitely. nature of the film it's just classy you know the whole all around it's it's li- it's it, like i said it's got that literary feel and and it's got a lot of um, sort of metaphorical parallels going on. Yeah. It's just like I said, it feels like a really well constructed um, piece of material. You know, from I'm guessing the source novel up. They, you know, they like, don't scrimp on. Sorry, but they don't scrimp on any of the technical aspects of the film. No, not at all. No, it looks good. It's well acted. Um, you know, I mean, it's gritty, but it, you know, it's it, like it, like it just looks like a movie. It just looks like a a paramount film you know i just think they were in a really like i said a really sort of prestige mode yeah. um yeah. but um but yeah just the you were talking about rick just the the frontier justice and how that sort of parallels you know what's going on i mean it's just it's a really well thought out um you know piece of material with with some structure and some things to it that i don't think you see at all in the other two films really <laughs> so it's just really it's it's a neat it's a neat film on that level um, I looked up the budget in the box office and all these just because I was curious. And but budget is listed as three million, which is you know still kind of steep in '74, but nonetheless, it supposedly made 22 million, mm-hmm. so decent sized hit for Paramount for sure. Yeah, which is a big. Um, it's a big hit for '74, right? I mean, absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I noticed a few. A few actors. I mean, obviously, we're talking about um, what's his name from Jackie Brown. 
that Stephen guy, Keats. Stephen Keats. That guy drives me nuts in this movie. How he how he he must call Bronson dad about a bazillion. <laughs> oh times. God, I know. And I've then he even been, says mom. Oh, I've never been a fan of that whole thing. You no, know, me like neither. no, yeah, just, I don't I don't call my I don't call my father in law dad. No, it's no. just like it's 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 a choice, and I know some people do it. I just never. Um, I don't my, my my wife's parents aren't in the picture, so that's not an issue for me. But if they were, I know it just wouldn't feel right, right. to do that. Right. But he says it literally like sometimes three or four times in the scene. He never it's calls just, him Paul. Yeah, it's so annoying. Um, and never tries to meet him halfway on anything either. He's just like so <laughs> oblivious to the fact that Paul is just imploding with all yeah. of this new information and just. Uh, what like when they're standing outside when they've just uh, I guess this might be a minor spoiler but kind of committed the daughter to the to the nun uh, to the nunnery. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's just like Paul's just like couldn't run right and he's like well you got to do what you got to do and it's like are you even right, listening Dad. to what the- <laughs> yeah exactly right it's just, it's just scene after scene of that like uh, when he paints the apartment. And he's like, it's cheery. And he's like, it hurts my eyes. Just, there's there's yeah. no middle ground between these two men no. at all. Like, right. It's no. wonderful. Right after he yeah. says that, Bronson does his famous food quote in this one, which is, like, what do you want to eat? I got liver and spaghetti. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> and I'm like, who cooks liver and spaghetti? <laughs> no, I just don't know. Those, those, those doesn't seem like, if you're in the mood for liver, it doesn't seem like you'd want spaghetti. And if you're in the it's mood for catfish diet. Yeah. yeah, it's a catfish diet. <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. Yeah, well, that might explain the body, maybe. Mm. <laughs> Live on spaghetti. Um, <laughs> I noticed that Bronson's boss is the guy who plays the doctor in Annie Hall. Oh yeah, yeah, uh-huh. he is. He is. It's like you know, will, you know, the world is expanding, or be the universe will be expanding for millions of years, or whatever. Yeah. And so I always awesome. remember that guy. There's two more. Like Abe Vigoda. There's two more like cameos that are in, insane. I don't know if you're going to mention them or not, Brad, but I'll mention probably, them. Probably, probably not. I mean, I I saw Paul Dooley. We talked about that. Um, and Stuart mm-hmm. Margolin, who I like a lot. This was the first time I'd ever seen him in anything. Yeah. Um, and he really plays. Again, there's some depth to that character because he's not just like a right wing gun nut. He's a very gentleman. Yeah. And he's sort of like you know seems to have some. Um, what do I know? Some, I, Ideals I wouldn't necessarily throw in with like a, a hugely right wing dude. He yeah. he seems like a really nice guy, you know. Just Remember him from the Rockford see. Files, hardcore man. <laughs> That's right. Oh yeah, man. <laughs> he was on the Rockford Files. No, he's Files. great. I yeah. like him a lot. Um, what did you see him? Oh, I saw him in um, uh, the Blake Edwards movie Son- Sob. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He is in that. That's right. He's like the gay. Um, <laughs> like uh, I guess he's like a. He's like a butler or something. <laughs> Yeah, he, he kind of overdoes it in that one, but then again, that's a Blake Edwards movie. So what do you you know what do you want? That let me, let me ask you guys a question. The other cop, the cop with the mustache that Will's talking about, that hangs out with Gardenia, wasn't he in Strange Brew? Uh, I know that he's currently uh, on Eagleheart as the uh, as the chief. Oh, okay. Yeah, what he's the- he's one of those character actors. With you're talking about the guy with the crazy eyebrows and the huge it looks eye- like he has huge. alopecia because all of his hair looks fake. <laughs> no, I, well, I don't know. Well, I don't, he, he's got huge eyeballs. I'm talking about yes. the cop. Yeah, the huge, That's huge. The same dude. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I gotta look that guy up. I don't know what his name is, but I'm vaguely remembering Eagle. What? What's that called? Eagle. What? Eagleheart. It's the. Uh, it's an Adult Swim show with. Uh, oh, I've been meaning to watch that one forever. Yeah, with Chris Elliott. It's really funny. Um, and yeah, he's he's great on that show too, playing it deadly serious. Nice. I'm gonna look up and see what his name is. Michael Gladys, um, maybe. 
He he looks a lot oh, like, like uh, Jesus. Uh, Seymour Cassell, and I oh. think a lot of people might yeah. get him. Oh shit! Yeah, Seymour. you know what? Now I know which guy you're talking about. Oh yeah. man, I just saw him in something recently too. Hmm. Yeah, he totally the Seymour Cassell thing. You're totally right, Miles. He's got like 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 cross with like Scorsese's eyebrows because yes. they're just like super bushy and white. And they Jack just, Jack Wallace is his name. There you go. That's a good name for that guy, is too. Is he in Strange Brew? I don't know if he's in Strange Brew, but he's in like a shitload of stuff. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. through now. I'll let you know. It seems like I thought he was the, the hockey player in Strange Brew, but maybe I'm... Hmm. Is he still alive? Yeah. He's, he's oh, yeah. Oh, he's shit. with us. He's with oh, us. Oh, yeah. Boogie Nights? Oh, my God. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, the, 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 I mean, we can talk about a lot of like times of changing as far as uh, firearms and how they can be handled. Like... You know, taking a gun to the airport Shit. and uh, in your luggage and whatnot. You know, just someone not. randomly giving you a present that you don't realize <laughs> is a gun that you take <laughs> onto the airplane with you. Yes. Yeah, incredible. That would be a whole different situation today. Oh, obviously. I love oh, that. Man. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I um, I I love when um, Bronson get in later in the film when he starts like eating in bad neighborhoods and waving cash around, which, which he, <laughs> he tends to do in, in all the movies, but yeah. definitely one and three. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Always found that kind of amusing. With his Nikon camera. Yeah, yeah oh, that's, that's right. Hot, <laughs> hot property. <laughs> anyway, that's all the notes I have for this one. All right, Miles, you got anything to add? Uh, no, it was actually, yeah, some of those things that he touched on, especially with the son, um, or the, the son-in-law, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the, the catatonic state of the daughter is, I guess, something we can get into more in, in two as well, but, uh, it, you know what, there's, I guess there's a saying in comics, or there's, uh, like a new kind of cliche where it's the girlfriend in the fridge syndrome, um, and if you really think about it over the course of the series, we don't get, uh, a pretty well we don't get any strong female characters throughout this uh this whole series i would i would argue um it it is kind of a shame that because we do get to i think it's again the hawaii opening is kind of baffling because i (laughs) i tend to forget that that's the way that death wish opens yeah but um but it's not a bad idea because we do need to to like that person and to and to get to know them a little bit before and and to know know their life but yeah before well yeah and set the difference between this paradise and the scummy hell (laughs) yeah yeah so she doesn't just become rage fuel but like but it's you know probably more time spent with her would have been fine it is yeah. funny when you when you think about the pace of this movie uh it cuz it is the most tame of the three for sure um oh, yeah. but i remember for some weird reason i remember there being even fewer um deaths but maybe i'm just mistaking that with first blood i mm. think is the is the thing there yeah. but um yeah cuz they both have that in common where I think the character just culturally got away from any kind of original intention that the filmmaker might have had, and and then it becomes this other thing entirely. But um, no, that's a yeah. good parallel because there is a slow burn and justification, and you totally understand. But between First Blood and and Death Wish, um, and I think that's another case where First Blood is also based on a novel that you know sort of sets all that up. I think. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's a good parallel, Miles. I hadn't thought about that. You yeah. know, that's good. Yeah, it's uh, and and again, I would say, yeah, this movie, it's it is kind of difficult to nail down uh, where it is politically because you've got Paul who is a crack shot, but 
you know, was a conscientious objector. Um, you've, there's a lot of, you know, that stuff with, uh, yeah, like, oh, if you carry a gun in the streets, like, you'll feel better and you'll be safe and all this stuff. And so, yeah, there's a lot of confused politics. And I think there's also, I, Will, I know you said you gave, like, Winner some credit and you think he's pretty good. It's, I, I would agree with that. I think this is a well-made movie, but I think it's, it's tonally or maybe um, politically possibly confused a little bit, or you just sure. get a lot of conflicting like sides in this movie. So to the point where that's maybe why I, I give it more credit sometimes or compare it. It's closer to Taxi Driver than the other you know films in the series would be. Just because. because oh yeah, go on. No, 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 no. I totally cut you. No, no. I insist. Go ahead. No, um, no. I was just gonna say because. I wouldn't say that there's an easy way to to fall at the end of the day on this movie politically to say like oh that's that's a Republican picture that's a Democratic mm-hmm. picture yeah. you you wouldn't really be able to to nail it down like that right right and I was just gonna say as a person the same thing and that's part of the brilliance I think of this film is that a lot of times we none of us are really black or white on a given issue especially something as complicated as this where right. it is kind of muddy water so that that's you know kudos to winner. And everyone involved for that because yeah, it, it isn't as simple as that. Yeah, exactly. Yep. But yeah, that's that's most of what I got. Okay, um, I just got a few more things to add. I, I want to bring this up now because we'll talk about it as we go. Bronson has a particular walk, <laughs> a way that he walks that no other actor I think walks. <laughs> it's almost like you know Travolta has a certain kind of walk. Uh, there's just certain actors that have a physical presence that is very dis kind of mm-hmm. odd. Travolta's got this weird kind of white boy strut thing that he's kind of like, strut. You know, this thing he's always had. And uh, he's just the first person that comes to mind. Trust me, there's, I could talk, think about tons of actors probably who have a distinct way of being, but Bronson just has this kind of, you know, just the certain gait that he a walks. A compact kind of walk. Though. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. very interesting. Yeah, and you get to like see a it. bear that got up at the time legs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's got this great posture too, it should be said. That guy has some some outstanding posture most of his it's life. It's old school, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. His chest comes in the room before he does, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to agree with you. This guy, this film is, is essentially, it's a drama. If, mm-hmm. if you see two and three or four and five before you see one, <laughs> then one is almost like a, a slap in the face. Yeah, because one is totally different than any of the other films. Uh, it mm-hmm. is it more of a standalone film. Yeah. The, the sequels are all the further adventures of Paul Kersey. But the but wasn't that must have been the intention? No, I mean no yeah. one intended to make it a series necessarily. No. I think I think because the well, last shot, not to give too much away, isn't so much about um, sequelizing. It's about um, the character's mindset. Right. Exactly. Yeah, leaving the audience with that kind of idea. Well, you know it wasn't a planned idea because, I mean, the sequel didn't come to eight years later. Eight right? years later with a different company altogether. Yeah. So they saw, you know, Bank Bronson was bankable worldwide. They throw together, a, you know, an idea, make a Death Wish 2. And, and I think Death Wish 2 was even a bigger hit. Uh, as far as money goes, I think it only cost like two million. Well, I'll have those numbers later. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But mm-hmm. uh, I think it actually made more money. Um, Death Wish two, um, yeah, two million. It didn't make more money. It made sixteen million. Oh, okay, so only two. So only well, according to the internet. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's still not bad. Still pretty good. Two yeah. million dollar investment, sixteen million dollar gross. Not bad. Yeah. Um, to a governing body, vigilanteism must be a nightmare. But the angle in this that I love the most is the kind of conundrum that the police, police. chief and yes. the attorney general put themselves in. Yeah. Because also as a as a manager, as somebody that manages things, 
you see the good in the bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, you see, hey, you know what? This is saving us a lot of money. This is saving us a lot of time, a lot of trouble. You know, these guys are scumbags. Uh, you know, blah blah blah. And you, it's another, it's another different type of where a thing where you kind of justify something that you know is not quite right. And I kind of like that. And I like Gardenia's character, how he understands without really having to say too much. He, he, they, they basically tell him, but you can see it. on. And it's my favorite piece of acting from Gardenia in, in the first two films is that moment in that office. He knows where they're going before they even get there. You can mm-hmm. see it on his face. That mm-hmm. part of him feels that, you know what, Kershey's doing the right thing because that's his political belief. Because he deals with scumbags all the time, and professional belief is yeah. making his life easier, is his job easier. But it's it's a really it's a really weird thing and a really weird moment, but a really good moment. And uh, my last note is essentially, and I can't believe nobody brought this up, but it wouldn't be a '70s Bronson film without him rocking a turtleneck at some point. <laughs> yeah, in a house coat. Yes. yes, come on, guys, turtleneck Bronson, <laughs> like a snake in a sweater. Or a catfish. All right, so that's our. Uh, Thoughts on the film? Let's see. Uh, let's kick it around. Uh, Will, MBTs, make or breaks? Uh, make or break is the last shot. I mean, it's not so much a scene, it's a shot, but I really, really love it. I think it's it's such an iconic shot. It, it says a lot. It's completely uh, out of tone with the rest of the film. It's it's amazing. Well, in some ways it is, in some ways it's not. I think it, it, it just it speaks to his mindset. And, and I think after his life is shattered, that inability to ever rest and, and to kind of have a content uh quiet nature yeah well i think uh, it could also be this the going back to the primal thing there's a certain bloodlust that yeah. i don't know whether or not that's be sated yeah i i don't know i mean but i can't imagine what it would be like to take a person's life and do it again and do it again and 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 if there would be an exhilaration there to a certain kind of person and yeah you know because we'll get into this i mean essentially the paul kersey character becomes if you really want to think about it eventually he becomes a slasher he becomes yeah. he, oh, totally yeah. does. he becomes I mean, a serial killer. That, <laughs> right down to the hospital with a white lab coat. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say there there's a lot in the second movie to suggest that. Yeah, yeah. well that's very true. I mean it's just completely like out too, there. Man. Oh yeah. <laughs> 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 I hadn't thought about that. Um but yeah, just this idea of like he gets his life back on track by finding a new purpose and that is to kill people. It is to take care of these and, and there seems to be no shortage in any given place that he goes, of scumbag. Oh, of course not. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Sorry, totally. well, I didn't mean to interrupt your. No, own. no, dude. No, no, no. Totally. Oh, no worries. Uh, MVT. I'm gonna go with. Um, actually, I was gonna go with just winner, but I, I want to go with everyone involved with the production, like um, behind the camera. Whether it's Herbie Hancock, whether it's the DOP, whether it's Winner himself, I just think that this film really works well as an interesting piece, um, even now, and also as a snapshot of the times and how people felt post Vietnam and. It just, regardless of, of era, it, it's these themes and issues and conundrums are going to speak to people. Um, score for the film, I'm going to say a 7.75 out of 10. I don't think it's, you know, the be-all, end-all, but I think it's a very good film that uh, rewards multiple viewings, certainly. And it's one of, uh, winner always know how to use Bronson dramatically. Um, there's some shots in the film with him looking out of his window, kind of pensive, and... Uh, he definitely uses Bronson. He gets the most mileage out of Bronson's acting chops. So. Yeah. yeah, he understood uh, Bronson. Yes, so there you go. All right, bro. Um, boy, Will, yeah, I mean, you guys, I, I, I didn't have a make or break for this, but um, uh, and my 
I, I would I'd love that last shot. I, I might have to agree with Will not to not to ride coattails, but no, no. that I that was definitely a note that I made was like I fucking love that last shot. So um, yeah, I got to go with that. And I my initial MVT was Bronson, but but I gotta agree with Will. It's really about the whole package. It's about you know every everybody involved because it really wouldn't be the film. It's not just the Bronson show like it is more in the canon stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean it, it is everybody. That's it's a really well made film, sure. Uh, my score, I give it a seven point two five out of ten. Um, but I gotta say, I watched it. I've, I mean, I've seen it a bunch, but I watched it late at night earlier this week, and I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to stay up. But even as a slow burn um, kind of film, I, it totally engaged me, and I sat through the whole thing late at night. So I think it's that kind of movie that can really hook you in. Same, same here, man. I, I'll be honest. I wasn't really looking forward to the rewatch because I've seen it like three or four times. Yeah, we talked but, about this on the phone. Yeah, but it was later at night, and I still I got hooked right into it. So yeah, It's the primal nature of this film, man. I'm telling you, there's something about this film that does that to people. Well, and the good filmmaking. I mean, yeah. I think yeah. all of us can say that we, we can, you can appreciate a, a well-made film, and it is yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Right. Miles? Uh, I would say my MVT is probably the Herbie Hancock score. Uh, nice. Because it's actually, it's it's a little more unusual than I remembered it being. Um, there are some kind of strange horror elements to it. Uh, and I always think that's interesting. Like, uh, well, in There Will Be Blood, Paul Thomas Anderson's movie, there, there's, there's a strangeness to that score because it doesn't quite fit with the kind of movie that you think you're supposed to be watching. And I think yeah. that's true of this movie too, which is... It's a really unique thing uh, when you find it, and it's I, I always appreciate it. Um, and I would say the make or break is probably the the rape uh, slash murder scene, um, just by the strictest definition of make or break in in terms of whether people are going to stick with the film or not. And I think it's handled just well enough uh, where there's there's a level of seriousness to it and less salaciousness than you would think. Mm-hmm. That um, it kind of it, it lets you know that. There, there's going to be some B movie elements to this, but they're they're going to take it as seriously as they're able to, and not not mistreat the audience in this one. Yeah, true. But your, uh, did you have oh, a score? My, and my final score, I you know I was gonna actually just go with the flat seven. Um, I think it's good. Yeah. Um, I think it's you know in terms of actual quality, it is probably the the best of the three. Like you know without any kind of question there. Um, but there's obviously at least one that I really appreciate and enjoy more. So, yeah. so I, I want to I want to give this one a seven. So there's a little bit of room to either go up or down accordingly. Yeah, yeah. Fifteen thousand users on de- on uh, IMDb rate this overall a seven. So interesting. Oh wow, nice. Um, my make or break is the first killing by Bronson. Uh, I really love the pathos and the kind of. This kind of disturbing nature. I should. I, I could even say the first time he hit somebody with the sock of quarters. I mean, you know, there's mm-hmm. just this kind of look on his face. And some of Bronson's best acting, quote unquote, uh, you really see some emotion on his face. And he, I mean, he even cries in this film. And I mean, well, I mean, he breaks down. He's doing something. I don't know what he's doing on the floor there. <laughs> Maybe he mixed that liver and spaghetti. I don't know. I was just going to say he mixed in the liver and spaghetti. Yeah. My MVT for this one, I'm going to go with winner on this one because I think... Outside of this and The Mechanic, I think, are my two favorite Michael Winter films. Uh, I like The Sentinel quite a bit, too, but I'm I'm looking through his filmography, 
And I really can't think of. I mean, the big sleep's really good. Oh uh, yeah, I forgot that he did that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one, man. So he's he's, he's got some good films. I mean, he did yeah. the Stone Killer with Bronson right before. So there's some. I'm good not films. as big a fan of that one. Just yeah. as a sitting aside. Uh, and of course, after Death Wish, he did Juan Tantan, the dog that's who saved Hollywood. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh boy. So I mean, it is you know it is what it is, but it's he he doesn't have interesting filmography and some interesting films in there. But when I think about him, when I go back, I think you know the Death Wish and Mechanic they they hold up pretty solid. Uh, all three Death Wish films, but this one more so than as a pure filmmaking experience. It's really a standout and a pop culture phenomenon. Um, my score is a straight up eight. I love this film. Uh, I've always loved this film. I did not look forward to watching it again. I've seen it about a thousand times. Uh, but I, just like you guys, I watched it straight through. I didn't break it up or anything, man. It's just it's an easy watch, and it's uh, it's just really good. And two more cameos to chew on when we go to break here. Uh, the cashier, that's uh, uh, Maria from Sesame Street. Yes, I Holy thought shit. I saw her. I meant to look that up, but I was so Holy into the movie shit. that I didn't. Yeah, yeah. And, one like, of the, Fuck. and one of the guards in the hotel lobby is none other than Grandpa Munster. So, oh, <laughs> uh, Al Lewis. Al Lewis is in wow. there. Oh, that's fantastic. I missed that. <laughs> Shit. Al Lewis, not not getting to speak. And I don't know if he spoke in the film or not. I can't remember. But just two more to think about. Like everybody was in Death Wish. Wow. <laughs> Al Lewis is never better than in used cars. And <laughs> oh yeah, he's great in used cars. That's yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I love used cars. All right, uh, so we're going to take a short break, come back, and talk some Death Wish 2. We'll be back right after this. Hi, this is famous Hollywood producer, Robert Evans. You know, I've made a lot of powerful enemies during my time in Hollywood. Like the time I pushed Steve McQueen in front of a moving car on the set of The Getaway because he was macking on my lady, Allie McGraw. But I've made one great friend, a boffo friend, if you will, since I retired. It's called Show Show, and it's the best fucking movie podcast ever. It's even better than cocaine, which I would know a lot about. Visit Show Show at showshow.podomatic.com or search Show Show, all one word, in the iTunes store. Ominous uh, score, <laughs> Jesus! Pretty crazy. Well, Jimmy, what Page. a great promo too. Yeah, yeah. and I got to re-record. <laughs> it's got the I, old I website on believe, there. <laughs> I still can't believe you got Robert Evans, man. That's yeah. that's that good. is. You that know, is it's funny. Yeah. It sounds like he pauses there before he says Allie McGraw because he couldn't remember her name for a second. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. It's, uh, Just a lot of lot of lot of drugs, a lot of partying. Almost yeah. as if, yeah. Yeah. 
Which, uh, there's a lot of us that need new promos, by the way. You're not oh, the only oh one. Gosh. <laughs> We're yeah. still running, what, uh, Berlin? Fuck, yeah. I still hear those promos. I'm like, God, we need a new promo. Yeah. <laughs> I like the hat ones. I'll, I'll always use the ones that the hat made. Yeah. The hat's, Coming yeah. out as asshole. <laughs> 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 All right. That shit makes me laugh every time. All right. So, uh, Death Wish 2, I'm going to both synopsize and take the lead on this one. Uh, this came out in 82, so eight years later. Uh, this is a different type of film altogether, but architect Paul Kersey once again becomes a vigilante when he tries to find the five street punks who murdered his daughter and housekeeper, this time on the dark streets of Los Angeles. Yeah, you know yeah, what? I fine. think End Housekeeper tells you everything you need to know about this movie. <laughs> yeah. It's the same thing, but the stakes are just a little bit lower. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. So this film, um, this is the sequel. Um, obviously Bronson had had a few hits in the seventies after, after uh, death wish. Um, but the cannon guys got a hold of the property and, uh, decided, you know, we're going to cash in and boy, did they ever. So, uh, they, they got another Bronson film up and going. Um, this one's got a great cast too. Uh, Jill Ireland pops up and you know, Bronson's, hey, did you guys see, sorry, did you guys see Jill Ireland's IMDb photo? Yeah, it's classic. I did. Wow. Yeah. That's not her hair either. That's a hat. It's Daryl <laughs> Hannah in uh, Blade Runner, man. Yeah, that's what it looks like. It's like a fur hat. Uh, it's, nice. It's very strange. Like a mink hat of some sort. Uh, Gardenia shows up again. Wow. We get, uh, yeah, you see the picture now. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> Anthony Franciosa coming back to the GGTMC. Yeah, Tenebrae. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we get uh, quite a few people in the film, uh, including um, um, Larry Fishburne, Lawrence Fishburne Jr., <laughs> Uh, wow. Chuck Cyphers is in the film, uh, uh, known for Halloween. That was, that was my favorite cameo, actually. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, yeah, I love Chuck Cyphers to death. That dude's yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. A and guy named Peter Pan who plays Chinese landlord? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you know, come on, man. Fred, I don't know what's better, his real name or his credit. <laughs> Jesus. It's with a name like Peter Pan. What else could he be but a Chinese landlord? You know, I know Pan is like a common surname for Chinese people, but his parents had to have had a little more foresight than the right. common Peter. You would think. You would think. But he was born in 1903, so I guess in his parents' defense. Yeah, yeah. And he runs easily. He runs the worst hotel I've ever seen before in my life. <laughs> Talk about in, in films, you sometimes hear about slums. That is a fucking slum, bro. Yeah. God. It it's reminded fit- me of the, uh, actually, I guess the hotel in Basket Case a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it reminded me of the hotel in Big. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> $50 for a month. That kind of tells yeah. you what kind of hotel it is. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, you can't even get a one-nighter for 50 bucks anymore. No. Um, Rick, real quick, I, I have this thing uh, I found. We were talking about the budget being $2 million. Mm-hmm. Um, This is just a real brief thing that's kind of interesting <laughs> and touches on how inexpensive the movie really was because it says um talking about um the according to bronson's loose the making of the death wish films which i really want to read by paul talbot screenwriter david Enelbach basically found bronson's house using a hollywood map to the stars (laughs) and had the brass balls to actually walk up to the front door unannounced and present the actor with his finished script in person yeah (laughs) and bronson understandably freaked out and cast off the prospects of a paul kersey return that is until an offer of $1.5 million to reprise Whoa. the role oh, so and they're deciding bucks. to direct. Yeah. 
Um, now that being said, we the supposedly the budget's two million, so five hundred thousand. Yeah, this movie, I mean that's that's and kind I, of and IMDb uh, gives the gross worldwide at forty five million. Oh wow! Okay, wow. so I got the wrong. So you're so, totally right, Rick. This one did make more money. So two million dollars, and then Canon releases it worldwide, and it makes forty five million dollars. You can kind of see what this their game plan was. Domestic box office. It's wow. A million that's, yeah. Look at that. That's <laughs> but I mean, amazing. that is pretty interesting. What you say though, one point five of the two million dollar budget went into Bronson's. You know. Very tight wow. corduroy pants, jack uh, pants. <laughs> I, no, need, I, I need to buy my daughter that. a crystal unicorn. That's a big payday, regardless for that time period. It is absolutely. It is. is, and and Bronson was well known for basically taking making his. I mean, he was making movies to make money, so he oh, was. Oh yeah. He was. You know, he knows. I mean, he knew what he was and what kind of actor he was, and so you know, he he knew what he was getting into. Anyway, let's get into the film here a little bit. Um. So now we've moved to L.A., so everything's a little sunnier, but also everything's a little sleazier in L.A. I don't know what oh, it is yeah. about the West Coast. You guys yeah, might know. Go. Well, it's a canon fact, right? Because it <laughs> yeah. makes it sleazier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Bronson's kind of moved on. He's got his life back together, it looks like. Kersey, that is to say. I always call him just Bronson. Also, should say Kevin Major Howard plays Stomper, the kind of guy with the buzz cut slash mullet that's right awful there's some awful haircuts on the villains in these films yeah he's he's actually in he's he's worked with stanley kubrick he's worked with uh clint eastwood i mean that guy's worked with a lot of people yeah he's 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 i mean uh he's a very popular well not a popular but he's one of those definitely you see his face and you're like oh it's that dude he looks authentically scuzzy. That I would say the yeah. gang is actually a little bit closer to to some kind of reality in this one, even though they're really over the top too. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This that character itself when he hits himself on the side of the head and licks his tongue. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know. But I, but I've decided to greet everybody I meet from now on that way. <laughs> so you know. Also, also we should also mention that uh, you know, like I said, Jimmy Page does a score, but Bronson. We open Bronson, and he's got he's got the members only on. Yes. Yeah. So we already know we're in Canon film territory. We're in GGTMC territory. Well, he just got that mill and a half. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got to spend it on something. Yeah, he's got the beige and the, the, ba- members only. the club. Corduroy yeah. pants and the members only jacket, man. Yeah. Rick, real, real briefly, you mentioned Jimmy Page. Another thing I read about that is that he supposedly didn't make him a lot of money on the score and that it was his manager, I think, like he was in a place where apparently he was just not working and um, had sort of creative, creatively shut down a little bit. And so he was given this gig and kind of went off and did it on his own. But his manager pushed him into it because he wanted to just get him creatively doing something again. Right. And I think he does a great job, by the way. I mean, yeah. the opening is very 80s, but that guitar lick, that stuff, says he used something like a what, – what the hell did I put down here? Some hey, kind of synthesizer – he yeah. ran the guitars through or something. Yeah. It's really distinct. Yeah, he was always into experimental stuff. You know, it kind of goes back to the Led Zeppelin days and the using the uh, the bow like you would use for violin for the guitar and all yeah. kinds of crazy stuff like that. And he was running things through synthesizers at this point in time. Jesus, I almost couldn't get that out. But You, you know who was supposed to do the score? And as good as the page score is, my heart kind of lies, well, definitely lies more with this guy, Isaac Hayes. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Louis Globus wanted him to do it, and uh, Michael Winter was like, "No, sorry, I'm neighbors with Jimmy Page." So that's Jimmy right. Page. That was part of it too. Was that he he was he just lived right next door to him? So and right. and Winter only did it because Bronson said, "I'm not doing the film if Winter didn't do it." Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is interesting when we get to three because he has a he has an opinion of Winter after he got done shooting three. That oh yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. He I was, want to talk to you guys about that because that I couldn't find as much about, and I yeah. know there was a falling out. But anyway. Um, 
So yeah, like the members only jacket. So you know, he's kind of getting along in life. He's out. He's you know shopping the streets. He's looking you know with his family. He's kind of makes your family. He's got going on. They're shopping crystal unicorns, getting ice cream, <laughs> trying to get ice cream. Yeah, trying. And these guys don't know what they're doing. They're messing with Bronson and food, and that's the two things you don't <laughs> yeah. mess with, man. You don't, Dude, mess don't with fuck with Bronson when he's getting ice cream. I think that's been established between this film and the next it, one. Also, I love the way Bronson yells sometimes. He'll go, hey! you know, he'll go, hey! or he'll go, taxi. It is a really weird yelling type thing. I don't know. He needs this, but the gang is straight out of the GGTMC heart. I mean, these guys are wearing vests. They're tucking their boot, their pants in their boots. They're wearing the really Net skinny, shirts, so, yeah, old headbands. The really skinny, uh, yeah, and even half shirts. Uh, oh yeah, they're wearing the really skinny uh, Devo sunglasses. Larry Fishburne, oh the Paul Schrader, <laughs> no Paul Schaefer. Yeah, I've never. Oh yeah, total Paul Schaefer. That's awesome. It's I've, weird too because those are my pajamas that I'm wearing right now. <laughs> That's basically everything you just described. I've never known this. This kind of tells you where we were as a, as a culture, but I've never known marijuana to cause this much violence. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, a meth and cocaine, maybe, but man, marijuana really does kick people into high gear in this one, man. And I'm going to say something now that is terribly sleazy, and I apologize in advance, but I will say this the first three Death Wish films, all the Death Wish films for me personally have great fucking tits in them. <laughs> well, the, the black chick in the third one has a nice rack. Oh, man. The maid, but, the maid has got a nice rack. And I'm not yeah, saying. <laughs> but I feel awful saying that because that's an un- that is the sleaziest rape in all of the films. I'm not. so awful. I know. I know. I, again, I know what I'm saying is awful there. No, 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 Rick. I, I, can, I can respect what you're saying, but, you know. But I wouldn't mind to get to know uh, Rosie a little bit better. <laughs> Miles is offended. <laughs> hey, man. If I, yeah. She, no, she's, she was in a child. I, I, she was an attractive woman, but until I saw them like spitting on her and sweating all over, then I was like, "Ooh, kind <laughs> oh, of a buzzkill." Yeah. I don't have made fantasies anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that, that going back to that, uh, I have always felt, you know, for me personally, the daughter angle in this one really, really, really fucking bothers me. Oh, and yeah. that goes back to the thing we've talked about in the past, Will, about how like mentally disabled or people who are challenged in some way. Uh, when they are picked on or something else, like in Asian cinema, that's used as a joke. It's, it's subtle. It's subtly it's, used in Asian cinema. Well, not all Asian. I don't know. Kills no, on it wasn't I'm too subtle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, that is always that always bothers me, right? And this one, it's just like, oh, it's just so it's so rough, and you know what eventually yeah. happens, and what she eventually does is just, oh, it's brutal. It's just, it's just I, so I like sleazy. That. I don't know. I like it because it is so sleazy. It is. Yeah. I mean, the rape and the ramifications oh. of the rape, what happens afterwards, is probably the sleaziest thing in all of the Death Wish films. So it's really fucking brutal. <laughs> it's really even by GGTMC standards. Even by canon. Well, even by canon film standards. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, like I said, watching Death Wish three. I think we watched the uncut import DVD, and that's yeah, not yeah, really. It's, again, it's a cakewalk in comparison to. It should be said. I think we all watched the uncut work print version as far as i understand i basically i think the x-rated version um with yeah. the intact Unfortunately, i didn't but oh yeah. you didn't get yeah, it's you didn't miss out on too much miles it's yeah. not. good a longer rape yeah it's, it's rape. really yeah. it's really too much it, it, it's at a point where it's like okay this is just slowing the film it's, down now. as many rapes as we've all seen on screen the rapes in this do genuinely make you feel like uncomfortable like okay 
enough. This is really fucking yeah. awful. Like, because yeah. you, you know, and not this does. I don't mean this to sound callous, but you get a bit desensitized to violence and rape and everything in films because you know it is cinematic. You can make that distinction, but the rapes in this, especially the the two, are just oh, they're so brutal. No, no, they're one in the big racket where they rape the girl and then they piss and on they her, piss on her, and then set her on fire. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> that one's pretty insane. Speaking um, of Gardenia, yeah, speaking of Gardenia, yeah. Um, the one constant that's always kind of bugged me, but is it's, well, it's not bugged me so much, but it's the easiest thing to parody in Death Wish, is that of course you know Paul Kersey cannot avoid thugs. Like everybody else in America, can go get ice cream. Everybody, I mean, I know we're talking yeah, about a bunch of people in line there, and he's the guy. <laughs> <laughs> they just don't like it. They just don't like him. But it's 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 amazing to me. And I know we don't have a film series unless that happens. I understand what I'm saying here. But what I what I just find funny is this guy, this architect man. He just he can't catch a break. <laughs> no looking for love in all the wrong places. Yeah, man. Really. That's also true. <laughs> yeah. Um and, and Jill, sorry, Jill looks good in the Roop special, the all white in this one. Oh yeah. She does. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah, mullet. So- I mean, she's looking good. Some of the uh, military esque communication between the gang is pretty fucking comical. <laughs> I love when you get these ragtag members of a gang or something, they're all doing the hand signs and the pointing at the eyeballs and the one guy in this, the the guy that's the last one to get the come up since he he fucking John C. Riley. He fucking cracks me up. <laughs> He's a like Racket Ralph. Yeah. <laughs> he's fucking hilarious in this film. If you just look at his face, every time he pops up on screen, he's making this kind of goofy smirk and he nods he, his head like, yeah. He's the goofiest one. He's the one that you would expect to look at the gang would be the first to die. <laughs> yeah. But he's hilarious in this one. He's smacking the crowbar in his hand. He's like, yeah. You know, it's just really fucking weird. Here's the one moment in Death Wish 2 that I think kind of capitalizes on what Death Wish 1 achieved. There's one moment in this film, because this film is a totally different film. It's a sleaze fest. It's not quite as good. I enjoy it, but it's not quite as good as the first film. Um, This is me talking. I don't know. You guys might have different opinions. But there's a small touch after the initial rape sequence. And I don't know if you guys saw this or not, but the gang is taking the daughter. They're throwing her in the van, because all gangs have vans or something like that. There's a lot of vans by gangs in this. There's a couple walking the dog around the corner. Right as they're driving off, so you get this tragic mixed with the mundane. Yeah, that really, really works for me. It's these little touches that I think Michael Winter does really well, and I really wish he would have stuck with more of that. But of course, this is a canon film, and I think you know, Golden Globus were like, "Look, you know, we need a higher body count. We need to put him in a toboggan slash took at some point in time." <laughs> oh yeah, I just love that. That's his outfit at the uh, his superhero man. That's yeah. his superhero. Mm-hmm. I think is he rocking a peacoat? Is that a peacoat he's rocking too? Uh, uh, trench no. maybe. Is it pe- peacoat or trench? I don't know. Either he's in Silva or Canadian territory. What I can't figure out is is why all of a sudden he looks like a you know like a doxman, like a, sh- a longshoreman. Long- totally, he's, he's hunting people as a longshoreman. Um, the film is just sleazy though. I mean, there's a great scenes of. Uh, Bronson kind of getting over his daughter. He's chopping wood again, which is a callback to Magnificent Seven. Sadly, no shirt off. No, he kept the shirt on at this point. Uh, he does take a shirt off in three, though, to kind of show yeah, the for physique. Yeah, for a brief, for a hot minute. Yeah, for a hot minute. One of the few love scenes you'll see Bronson in. Yeah. It's also a reference to uh, the Amityville Horror remake. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anybody's seen that. Yes. <laughs> Katie. Uh, what's up? Yeah. yeah. I think she remembers that scene. There's a... There, there's, uh, there's also the weird psychosis that you start to see even more and more in these films where Bronson starts to like check the news and like see reports of himself doing things yes. and has like clippings you. and like, uh, yeah. it's serial killer when, shit. When you were talking about it, uh, with, with the last film, 
it's the scene where he's standing in the hallway at his girlfriend's apartment and the blood is dripping down his hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of, it's almost like a Hitchcock kind of like macabre or dark humor sort of moment where it's yeah. like, it's almost played for laughs that this man who's just murdered a couple of people is now like trying to get away with it and like trying to hide it from his wife. Cause his wife's going to, or like, you know, the girlfriend wife kind of figure who's mm-hmm. like, Oh, you didn't kill some more people, did you? Like that kind of stuff. Like <laughs> yeah. you almost no, no. expect Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that. This this kind of angle that, you know, she she appreciates him no matter what. Even though she does find out eventually what he's up to and stuff, she just kinda right. she's sticking by his side no matter what. Um but it is that weird psycho it, it's essentially what these films became, which is essentially they became uh serial killer fodder. I mean, if you really think about it. Kersey is a killer. He's not so much a vigilante anymore. He's be- a multi-murderer. Yeah, be- like many times over. <laughs> because at this oh, yeah. point, now in this film, he doesn't. He he's actually going after the gang for revenge, but he's also just kind of <laughs> killing everybody around him. You know, anybody. He's looking, he's is- looking to, to for any any excuse. There's times when he goes, oh yeah, with his like in the throw with his Nikon camera. Like sometimes <laughs> yeah. any excuse to yeah. just kill someone, anything, because the cops aren't doing anything, right? So he's gonna he's gonna you know he's gonna finish this. He's gonna make sure everything goes down. And well, it's he's a, a little more focused on the gang that killed because there's that scene where he lets a couple people go. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like it's not about them. It's yeah. About the people. That Which is kind of a, it's a weird moment, right? Because yeah. Really, you expect him at this point, like you talk about the bloodlust. Really, at this point, you expect him just to take out everybody. Which, by, yeah. by the time you get to three, he takes out half a city. So <laughs> it's really ridiculous. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I really, I, I like parts of this film. I don't think this film is well made. I think it's it. Well, uh, let me say this: I think it's good. I think it's sloppy. Oh yeah, I totally agree with that. I think it's yeah. sleazy. It definitely got the sleaze factor in, and it's definitely the transitional piece between one and three. It, the the transitions there because you get some of the collective imaginings of one here, and then you get because there's some seriousness, and then you get the taste of where it's going two years later or five, three years later, whatever it was. You get the taste of where it's headed. I don't know if anybody really expected it to head where it ended up going, but <laughs> but you kind of get the taste of it, just a little little uh, little bits of it here and there. Um, but I do think the parts that work, the personal revenge, the actual hunting of the individual guys themselves, I like that bit of it because I like how you see these guys in the normal environment. That is to include that in the '80s, every punk gang or every band of criminals, for some strange reason, has to dance. I don't know. Mm. I don't. I don't know and what it is. Erotic too. There's yeah. knife licking while they're dancing. It's very homoerotic. There's even a pole, ironically. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, I don't. I don't. Know. I don't understand the '80s. I don't understand why thugs always were dancing. It just. It makes no sense to me. But whatever. It was. It was one of those great things about the '80s that doesn't make sense, right? You know, you get the bad guys, these awful people that rape uh, housekeepers and and kill daughters and everything, and yet they find time to let's break it down, guys. Let's, you know, I got yeah. this great song on the jam box here. Let's break it down. <laughs> You know, while doing random drug dealings and stuff with people who are obviously have seen Scarface, and it's just like pretty, yeah. it's pretty crazy. Um, I do like the last act of this film. Uh, I like, I like. It's weird. I like the first act of this film, uh, even though the rape is appalling. Uh, Great tits, though. And uh, <laughs> and I do like the last act of this film, and it has a lot to do with the score. And the feel of it, and Bronson's kind of superhero costume, and and all the stuff that's kind of going on there. And, and I'll be honest with you, I like the setting of L.A. 
Me too. I, I, I like that they decided to go really sleazy on the West Coast because for some strange reason, that works really well for me in the 80s is that sleazy West Coast feel like with Vice oh, Squad. Yeah. and I was going to say Vice Squad. Yeah, and yeah. films like that. It really works. I don't know what it is about L.A. I mean, not Hardcore. to say that, yeah, not to say that uh, New York doesn't have yeah. its, yeah. <laughs> you know, the city, New York City does have definitely have its, you know, sleazy side. And I do love that side of the 80s of New York, too. But. There's something about the West Coast. It's that, you know, just the palm trees, the, the sunshine, Larry Fishburne. <laughs> On a hardcore-related uh, tangent, can we please somebody make us a gif of uh, fucking George C. Scott sitting there with that wig and mustache? Please. I think, we, I think we said when we did the review, it's easily, hey, the, audio. It's, it's easily the worst wig in cinema history. Oh, it's one of the best scenes ever, though. Oh, yeah, it's one of the greatest scenes of all time, in my opinion. My name's Big Dick Black. (laughs) Uh, But uh, that's really all my notes. I mean, I I don't want to go into too much detail because I want to make sure we save some room for three. So, uh, but that's really, I mean, the sleaze factor, some other things and stuff, but (laughs) it's, it's a good film, just not a great film. So, I don't, whoever wants to go next. Anyone? Uh, I'll just run through some quick stuff here. Um, uh, I, you know, we were talking about in the first one how the movies, they all seem to kick off with crime statistics. Yes, they all do. Commonality. <laughs> if Tony Scott would have made this, and not to make fun, I'm not making fun of Tony Scott because yeah, I'm a big fan. I miss him terribly. Huge fan here, too. Uh, if this would have been a Tony Scott film, you would have gotten those little overlays on the front, you know, the crime statistics. You know, <laughs> Yeah, totally, man. <laughs> yeah, he liked the nice. Yeah. I just drove the Vincent Saint or the Vincent Thomas Bridge too, where he uh, where he killed wow. himself. Actually, wow. it's insane. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's right. Like it's. I think it's maybe two miles from where I live. Ooh, wow. Oh, yeah. Crazy. Um, but um, yeah. I mean, we've already covered basically that you can feel a big production difference between a, this the Paramount film and the canon film you know it's, it's pretty clear um let's see here um the the punks in this and this is an i think also a, a product of the canon they're just very proactive you know <laughs> like you know the jeff golden guys they they look they peek at the little um the address in the groceries or whatever yeah but i mean these punks like really have it in for bronson because he punches one of them i guess and they <laughs> You know they go, they take his driver's license and they go to his fucking house and yeah. they fuck shit up and wait for him. You know, I mean they just, mm-hmm. I mean it's it's some serious shit. And yeah. I feel like that's a canon movie trope. I don't feel like punks like that are quite that motivated yeah. in no. general. But you know, whatever. I haven't really dealt with punks a lot in my life, thankfully. So <laughs> well, they they even um, they even get better organized by three, right? Yes. By, by three, they got a mm-hmm. they got a hierarchy going. That's because you got Manny Fraker. Oh, he's <laughs> leading the charge. He is fucking great. Um, but yeah, that rape scene is is just. I mean, it's it, it is excessive because I mean, you know, I I don't mind that they show maybe one guy having his way with it, but I mean, they actually oh, yeah. physically draw, have. She's raped in one room. They dry her to another room. She's raped by multiple guys in that room, and we see that. I mean, we just. <laughs> I, I just don't. I, I felt it was just unnecessary. So I could see. Well, it's a good. I feel like it was a good cut to lose that material because it really doesn't help the film. I mean, it it's just as uncomfortable however you slice it, I think, yeah. without the extra footage. It's, it's still pretty brutal without yeah, the extra footage. Just, yeah. Um, and um, 
the, the the you believe in Jesus line is is pretty memorable <laughs> for me. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's I great. can't believe we forgot that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's always been one of my favorites. That's actually the thing that stands out for me from this movie. You believe in Jesus, you're gonna meet him. Yeah. Uh, always gets me. There's a lot of church shots in this too. You notice that? There's a lot. Yeah. Of them. Hadn't thought about that. Um, but um, makeshift, I, sorry, makeshift kind of strip mall churches. I don't, I'm trying to wonder if this LA still has that stuff, and I don't think we. It's Skid Row stuff, right? I mean, I think he's down on Skid yeah. Row, quote unquote, Skid Row yeah. down there. I was always looking for street signs, but the copy I had, I couldn't really tell exactly. Really, where he was. the only way you can find Skid Row nowadays is if you just got to go uh, find, see if you can see Eddie Furlong hanging out somewhere. In there. <laughs> <laughs> Typically, yeah. that's wherever Skid Row might be. Um, <laughs> there is a there's a passing reference where the mayor is talking about his wife taking a mace class which yeah. I thought was really funny like they teach yeah. them how to spray people <laughs> with mace well. just like how is that an eight week course I mean how, how <laughs> hard is it to learn to spray someone in the face anyway um, I thought that was really funny I wonder what they use for practice solvent you know to spray <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> hope they aren't using real mace that fucking class would suck yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, man, I got to go back to Mace class, man. I just got over it last week, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think if I have too many more notes here. Um, and to go to go one step further, a GGTMC Mace class would involve a club with a stick on it, the, uh, with a big, <laughs> an actual that's Mace. That's I would, I would consider taking. Yeah, Eastman, Eastman's running that class. Well, that's, that feels a gang members would take that class. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> well, that's the problem with gangs is they don't have enough classes. Yep. <laughs> um, I think that's pretty much it for me. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Miles? Uh, no, for the I, I'm going to say for the sake of brevity, I don't have much to say on this one. <laughs> okay. uh, honestly, yeah, yeah. Oh, except to say what Rick, it's 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 sloppy. I feel like yes. it's, it's it feels, especially in comparison to the first film, the structure is just it's kind of all over the place, and there's a lot more unbelievable shit, like you know Bronson just disappearing for. You know, going into his night raid mode and people not really, you know, picking up on that. You know, I I don't know. It's just there's a lot of, it's and in general, it just kind of doesn't. It's not as cohesive. It just feels sloppily made, sort of slapdash to me. Mm-hmm. So that that's yeah. a detriment for me. And again, I would say more if I if I felt like it hadn't already been said up to this point. Like sure. uh, yeah, so I I quite love part two. Yep. Um, yep. I think it's it's really fucking sleazy, but I think that works for me, um, especially considering, like I said, it's canon. I think they successfully successfully transitioned the franchise from Paramount to canon with this film, so I, I'm okay. I give it a bit more of a pass. Um, interestingly, not Chicago. They were because that was originally what they talked about was Kirsten moving yeah. to Chicago, and he's in LA, which works a lot better as opposed to getting away from some of the East Coast. Um, Bronson early on does seem relaxed. I mean, he doesn't, he's not carrying a gun when he's getting ice cream. Like it, I think they make some attempts to have him sort of show that his life has just sort of been rebuilt and then it's shattered again. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, the rape. Just to, we've talked about how awful, how awful it is. But I mean, there's even like ass licking and oh yeah, oh, it's, and yeah. And, the, and she gets whipped with a belt repeatedly by Larry. Yes, while she's Larry being Fishburne. raped. While mm-hmm. she's being raped, gang raped. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, let me. Could you, I have to say this because I always say this on any of our show. I have to say I forgot to mention this in our part one review. My wife. I was watching part one, and of course, my wife always walks in on the most inopportune times. She walks in during the initial rape where we're getting spray painted asses, and my wife goes, "You're a fucking freak." <laughs> Those are <her> exact words. 
Nice. Dude, you poor man. That's just so terrible. You impression well, she, she walked in and not went on the rape in the second one. She always walks in when somebody's getting raped or somebody's licking an ass or somebody's <laughs> sucking a horse off. I'm, well, oh, not, oh, well oh, hang on. Oh, made, too much information. Yeah, we'll tee him out there. But yeah, and then even like they wheelbarrow the maid. Which is awful. Yes, it's awful. Really, like it's like George Eastman wrote the fucking scene. It's just <laughs> yeah. terrible. Yeah, even George Eastman um, looked at it and was like, you know what? I'm retiring. I can't even come yeah, up with anything. Too good. much. <laughs> uh, the daughter looks like Lena Romay. Um, yes, she does. The, yeah, she the does. daughter. I like. The, I mean, it's a really cruel, like you know, spit in the face tw- twist of fate. But uh, it's so fucked. But she's just so like comatose. Her legs are splayed. She's almost like a like a fuck doll. Her mouth's slightly open. It's yeah. it's really awful. And oh, it's I, again, it works well though. The sweaty dudes looking at her. Oh yeah. god, they're all so sweaty. And the worst thing, I think, the thing that makes me most uncomfortable with a lot of those rape scenes is the fact that they show them all. Like they show their faces while yeah. they're blowing their load. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's just ugh, it's so uh, awful. They they managed um, to work in a swing though because all gangs need a swing in their bat lair. They do. They got to cut loose, man. <laughs> Larry Fishburne swinging on the, the rope. Um, there, so, yeah, Larry Fishburne licks asses and knives in this film, well, which is awesome. It's got to be a proud moment for uh, Morpheus. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's Uzis, fanny packs with uh, heroin in them, satin shirted gun runners. These villains make it hard to root against them despite their rapiness. Yes. Um, yeah, so it really switches into horror movie villain mode with Bronson in the white lab coat. When he goes head to head with the guy at the end, I'm trying to just run through these. I like the raw motion of his fight with um, John C. Riley, but yeah. the thing that's a bit ridiculous is it's a good it's a good kind of primal hand to hand thing, and then it gets a bit ridiculous when he sticks his arm in some sort of a it's electroshock. Sort of like, you know that's a, electroshock you know that's device. Foreshadow it so poorly. Oh, yeah, it's so oh, he's just like his oh, arm gets wedged in there. Like I don't think that the chamber or the recess is deep enough in that thing for him to be elbow deep. And then he looks like Yahoo serious. They even have his hair like yeah, they got that like, up in the like that. Old they got the fan off screen down below blowing air up into his face. I just keep going back to that interview with Michael Winner saying like we had the violence the way it was, so it would be more realistic every time I see that scene. <laughs> Something out of a Looney Tunes cartoon with that. Well, so Miles is totally right. They so telegraphed the electroshock because Chuck, they support Chuck Cypher in the mode of like, oh, we used to use this electroshock equipment before yeah. all you head shrinkers came along. Yeah. And apparently Bronson can get back there just by saying like, I've got an appointment. <laughs> like, <laughs> at midnight. At midnight. <laughs> yeah, and it's really shoddily made like Xerox copied ID. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Doctor, no one's ever seen before. <laughs> It's yeah, not, it's not ludicrous at all, is it? The guy no. too. But I, I like that. I like that final act because of the silliness of it. It's oh, just so too. insane. I love it. I love it. So and much. No, that think, is the best for me. That's the best part of the movie. The John C. Riley moment also is the, the fan off screen blowing his hair. Up. It's like totally like a Michael Jackson <laughs> stage moment. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> like dirt, Dirty Diana's playing. You know, yeah. Dirty Diana. <laughs> You almost expect to see like that um, rotoscoped like um, yeah. electricity volts all oh, over the guy's body. Yeah. Oh yeah, Just they, the blue skeleton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they missed the boat on that. They should have done that totally. They should have, yeah. man. Um, and I think yeah, Cannon successfully transitions this away from um, <laughs> away from Paramount. And I like that they almost set it up like they could have done Miami, where he goes and takes on the Cubans, or yeah. he could have gone to the Deep South and taken on some rednecks. Like I like how they kind of made it this. They, they craftily transitioned it to a franchise where Paul Kersey is sort of this traveling 
wheel of justice or <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, they kind of they, they do kind of make it yeah. episodic. Well, because I mean, we go three, we go back to New York. Four yeah. comes back to L.A. He takes on the entire L.A. drug trade. Yes, yeah, the cartel. Uh, I mean, like, it's like, it's freaking great. I think five. He's still in L.A. I can't remember five. I know I've seen it, but I almost was going to push for us to try and do four in this too, but that was just going to be too much. Five, yeah. his face fills up the entire poster. It's that yeah, it five. It does. Yeah. It's not even catfish, it's blowfish. Yeah. It's oh. so funny because it's called the face of death and he just... <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Poor bastard. Face on the poster. Yeah, he looks like a cuttlefish. Oh. <laughs> that's it, man. I'm All done. Right. All right, uh, my make or break, and I'm with you, Will. And I, even though I know this film sloppy and everything else, I, I quite enjoy this film for some reason. Uh, make or break, I like the uh, the cursy stalking scenes. I like how he just yeah. kind of hangs out. You know, people riding motorbikes on sidewalks and all kinds of craziness. <laughs> There's no fucking cops in these movies, man. Uh, I like that. I like the my MVT is the kind of uh, mixture of it, at this point it's the Bronson winner team up. Yes. Uh, at this point, it feels like they both kind of know what they, they got. So they're trying to do the strengths of it. Uh, I think they fail in some ways, but in some ways I think the the small wins they get in this work enough for me for me to justify liking this film. Uh, I do think it's sloppy, though. I do think it's it's a messed up film, but it's uh, yeah. Well, I guess maybe you could call it a guilty pleasure or something, or maybe I call it fun. I'm not guilty about it. <laughs> but my score for this is a straight uh, seven out of ten. I, I I enjoyed this. I thought I was going to dislike it more because I hadn't seen it in forever. But I you know I've seen it a thousand times on cable growing up, and uh, but I'm I still like it. Seven. Your MVT wasn't Sylvia Giardo's tits. Yeah, well, going on there, man. <laughs> it, it it was in a way. <laughs> <laughs> Great fucking tits. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Brian. <laughs> um, uh, my make or break is either you believe in Jesus, which is great, but yeah. also when when and not to give too much away, but Mr. Fishburne does get it in this movie, and he gets it in a way where he's shot <laughs> through a boombox in the face. Really <laughs> 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 pretty awesome. I have to say, because it splits the boombox and his face, and it's 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 a great canon moment. Like, I I give the film six point five out of ten, and the point five is all for that last act. Yes, really. Yeah, otherwise, fantastic. it would be less. Because it because it it is a great last act. I do like that. Yeah. Um, and my MVT is Bronson because I don't. I feel like Winner's much stronger with three and one than he is in this, mm-hmm. but. That being said, I, maybe the reason I'm sort of harsh on this one is because I think I did see um, one or three first, but I definitely saw those two before I saw two. Yeah. And I feel like if you see both of those before you see this one, it just it is inevitably it's slightly disappointing. Um, maybe maybe not to everybody, but certainly to me because I feel like, um, like I said, three really goes for it, and one is just a well-made movie, and this is just somewhere in the middle. Nice. Nice. Miles? Yeah. Um... Yeah, you know what, I probably, just to jump ahead with the scoring, I probably agree for some of the same reasons, I think, because it can be seen as like middle child kind of syndrome with this one, yeah. where it's it's sandwiched between a movie that's obviously technically better, and and then just the insanity that we really want out of three. Um, <clears throat> so that it's, you know, it has elements of both is, is fine, and it doesn't mean it's necessarily a terrible movie, so... Um, <clears throat> But to get to the scoring and everything like that, I guess I would say the MVT, again, has got to be uh, the musician involved, Jimmy Page, and his score. Because, uh, again, I think it's really interesting work, and it does set the tone, uh, not just 
of you know the that really nice uh, sting that we've all been talking about, but also. I think there is that element of it because it's a guitar guy instead of a piano guy. There's already that element of uh, sleaziness or just the less prestigious uh, yeah. prestigious version of the last thing that we got. Um, and then I think the make or break is that fucking hospital scene <laughs> just cracks me up every time. Um, and uh, I love it. And so, yeah, I would say probably not to not to ape, but uh, probably a 6.5 also for me on this one. Right. Okay, make or break is the rape. The rape is just <laughs> awful. It's so awful. It somehow ups the ante from the first one, and it, it, it's really about turning things, turning the dial up in this one, right? So that's true. That's a good point. I mean, he definitely takes it further. Yeah, it's not, and it's not even like it's the two rapes really because like it's well, I'll go with the first one because it's it's even more awful. But then the second one then is awful. I love for just sheer kind of fun. Yeah, the third act is tremendous, but. The rape in this, it kind of like, okay, they're going to turn everything up in this. Uh, and in saying that, my MVT is just the sleaze. And I think it shifts from social drama to sleazy kind of exploitation. I mean, this is really early 80s exploitation. I really love this film. Uh, I'm going to give it a 7.5, man. It's, nice. I, I, I just, I quite enjoy it. I think the strength of the sleaze and the third act really put it up for me. Mm, yeah, it is a nasty little number. Mm. All right, uh, we're going to take a short break, come back and talk about Death Wish 3, which is... The quickening. (laughs) We'll be back right after this. Eighties TV is that theme song in a way. It's it's very eighties TV, but it's almost like eight years <laughs> late for the disco. Like it has a very disco feel, but eighties TV too. Yeah. Totally. Well, I was also going to say the intro set reminds me of the ambient music in Paperboy video game. <laughs> yeah, nice. it does. It does. Well, there's music in this that reminds me of um, like uh, an episode of Highway to Heaven. Oddly enough, <laughs> for sure. Whenever yes. Deborah Raffin's on screen, basically, <laughs> yeah. that shit. Highway to Heaven also dealt with uh, old people a lot. There you go. Older people. Sure. So it's very strange. Nice. Uh... All right. Uh, okay. So let's do the synopsis for Death Wish 3, which has one of the greatest covers of all time on oh, that so DVD. Good. Uh, um, I mean, I'll well, go ahead and synopsize. You'll synopsize? Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. 1985. Uh, again, another canon film. Architect vigilante Paul Kersey arrives back in New York City and is forcibly recruited by a crooked police detective to fight street crime caused by a large gang terrorizing the neighborhoods. Says neighborhoods, but really it's one neighborhood, and uh, doesn't really give credit to Ed Lauder there as a crooked police detective. He's so fucking amazing in this. Oh, he's so <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. I fucking love Ed Lauder. It's good to have him back on the yeah. show again. All right, so Brad's going to take the lead on this one. So I defer to you, Mister Pupkin. Okay. Um, 
like I said, I saw this one. I think I had a tape of this from uh, like TNT or some edited for TV shit. And this happened to me a couple times where my main copy of a film would be edited for TV and then I would later see the uncut version and like suddenly be like, whoa, what the, <laughs> what's this rape scene? And, you know, it's <laughs> all this swearing. And, you know, so, so this is when I watched a ton off this taped for TV version. Um, and I was obsessed with it to the point of, I used to do this a little bit. I was so nerdy. I would try and make up my own. I was really into role playing games. So I would. I made up my own like Death Wish Three role playing <laughs> for a little while. Nice. Um, I did that for the Terminator and for Jaws and for Ghostbusters too. But it was they were very rudimentary setups. Yeah. I was just trying to rip off. I was nerdy like that too. I used to make my own role playing games too. Nice, bro. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. <laughs> yeah, I just it was really silly. But um, anyway, um, yeah, it's a budget nine million box office worldwide seems to be sixteen million. So this is considerably. Less of a hit for Canon. Um, yeah, yeah, a lot more money. You can see the kind of inflation in uh, cost. Yeah, oh, yeah. nine yeah. million. They Absolutely. threw nine I mean, million into this. I don't know where that nine million went. <laughs> well, I know that they rebuilt part of New York in in London. In London. You know, yes. A lot of it. I wonder yes. why they shot in London though. I can't remember. I was reading something and watching some behind the scenes on YouTube, and I couldn't. It wasn't totally clear to me why they did that. I think it was partially. It sounded like because. In one one excerpt, it sounded like because it was closer to where Michael Winter lived, like <laughs> literally, like he doesn't want to go anywhere, so they spent an extra like five million building the set. I don't know, but um, yeah, this this one just was a huge touchstone for me and uh, introduced me to you know Ed Lauder I, along with Girls Just Want to Have Fun, which my little sis- sisters would watch all the time. Right, um, but Lauder is just so fucking fantastic in this one. <laughs> but I love how this movie like. It, it doesn't waste any time at all. I mean, before the credits are done, basically, Bronson's, <laughs> Bronson's buddy is already dead, and he shows up the apartment, and the police wrongfully pick him up for the murder of his own good friend who he's coming to visit. Oh, yeah. It's, um, this, is, it's, this, is a, this film is a lesson in brevity of plot. Which yeah. is great. You know, I mean, at the point we're at, it's just like, all right, let's get to it, you know? Yeah. Look after my things. And that's all we need. <laughs> yep. Exactly. You know, and we get a great introduction to Alex Winter, who's one of the uh, thugs in this one. Yeah, Hermosa. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Oddly named Hermosa. Yeah. So that is, that he, is an interesting... He has one of the greatest lines of dialogue in any movie. Yo, bitch, come here. I want to eat you. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Easily. Easily one of the greatest lines ever written by anybody. Don Jacobs. Like 14, though, which makes it bizarre. Yeah, it's <laughs> really weird to see, you know, Bill S. Preston Esquire saying shit like that. Um, yeah. Um, oh. But, yeah, so the, it's a great scene where they just come in and, and beat the shit out of his... And and even, like, uh, I think Kersey's calling him on the phone while he's getting his ass beat to death. <laughs> yeah, anyway. that's right. <laughs> but, but Louder is just a great, like... I just love the scenes with Louder and Bronson together because they're just they're just so perfect. Like when he's just sort of and and the way that Louder lays out um, the history of of Kersey basically since the first film, he talks about L.A. but he also talks about the stuff that we don't see, which is like Kansas City. I think he mentions I think he mentions Chicago, and like yeah. so Kersey's been moving around and never kind of shaken. The, and then Kersey's, of course, like, oh, that's all behind me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I like that moment where he's calling while his friend's getting beat up and killed, and you get the, the fact, this is kind of like a new angle, and I'm totally joking around here. I should say this now. I probably shouldn't have given away the whole joke, but you can tell Kersey knows something's wrong, even though 
he doesn't know, but he, he's got the, now he's got this, you know, omnipotent mind. He just knows he's all knowing now. It's just like that scene in Home Alone where they're on the plane. Well, you know, it's and funny. The mom says, "Did we forget something?" It's funny. There's a why? Home Alone moment in this. Yeah, it's funny you yeah. mentioned Home Alone. I got a feeling Chris Columbus watched Deathwish Three a lot. Oh yeah, and oh, Wes yeah. Craven too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, that's one of the things that appealed to me as a youngster is the weapons in this movie are great. The traps and the things traps, that they yeah. set in the movie are fucking awesome. It's like a you know, it's spike. Yeah, I mean, there's so much good shit as far as that goes. It, it, it's like the equivalent of adding, you know, a James Bond filmed scene with Q where he gets the new cool weapons. They, I mean, they don't have that character, but they kind of have the equivalent of that, which is, you know, everything's stepped up again above even Death Wish 2 yeah. um, as far as the really weapons used. Out. Yeah, which is great. Like I said, and, and in this case, He's not even dealing with issues with the cops. He's getting directives from the cops. Yeah. Because yeah. basically Louder lays out like, um, you know, I need you to do what you do. And He's got a license <laughs> to kill. Yeah. yeah he really, it's very Bond. <laughs> yeah, you're way. working for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. After, after Louder calls him dude about 25 oh, times. God. <laughs> it's like Zack Snyder calling everybody a rock star. Yes. Oh, yeah, no, Louder is just a great he plays a great cop. Um excuse me, and he and he just he just nails it from word one. He just sets the tone for the kind of character he's gonna play. Yeah. He and and he really um plays well with Bronson. Yeah, um, if if there's one thing Louder does that's a weakness, if there's one thing Ed Louder has as a weakness in this film, it's the fact that he shoots a gun like Tony King does in Raiders of Atlantis. <laughs> whereas he he throws the bullets. He throws yeah. the bullets at him, if you notice. It's like Turkish Rambo. Turkish Rambo. Yeah, it's like Turkish Rambo. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, I don't know. It's, 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 it's got a great cast because it's got, um, you know, it's got uh, Ed Lauder and then it's got Alex Winter and then uh, Martin Balsam. Yeah. One of my just, favorite character yeah, he's actors ever. Great. He's one of the guys that lives in the building and, and was a friend of uh, Kersey's friend. Uh, who is there all seem to have been in the war together and he's got some good guns that get pulled out later uh, <laughs> oh, but, yeah. uh, they even bronson's like that's a little too much <laughs> that's great <laughs> it's like what the hell he's still trying to pull it back a little bit <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah no it's really neat that bronson sort of comes into the situation and he just starts fucking with the guys i mean he buys a new car like a relatively new car parks it out Cash. and like yeah, <laughs> that's fucking great. They ask him, ask him what it's for, and he says it's bait. Yeah, I mean, right. I love that the, this this neighborhood is so run down. Like he parks the car like next to a pile of rubble. There's no, <laughs> well, <laughs> no parking for this. Place. This this just, film feels like an Italian post apocalypse. Like this could have been made by Bruno Mattei almost. Yes, yes. yes. It feels especially like, especially in the back half. Yeah. Oh my god! It, it just does missing feel like, the football pads. <laughs> Seriously, it does feel like you know like. 1990 uh, Bronx Warriors was yeah. shooting on this during the day and they had the set at night or something. I, I laugh when you say park next to a pile of rubble. Can you imagine the scene where he's like, hey, that's my spot. I park next <laughs> yeah. to the fucking rubble. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a it's a great scene like when they first start fucking with his car and he comes out and they're like, what, you know, he's like, what's the problem and yeah. with the car? And they're like, why do you want to know? He's like, it's my car. Yeah. He just fucking blows those guys away. It's just a great start, you know, and... Yeah. um. Yeah. I don't know. That, that's his, uh, that's just, his establishing moment. It's like this is what you get when you fuck with Paul Kersey. Absolutely, absolutely, and he, he and he really helps out this sort of geriatric set that's in this building 
you know, by, like I said, making traps. Um, and there's some good ones that pop up throughout the film, especially at the end. Um, but, oh, yeah. uh, but yeah, I'm a huge fan of, uh, Deborah Raffin too. She's established early as, I, and I would argue she is the, obviously the strongest female character in the whole series. That's not saying a lot, but I feel like she's relatively, you know, strong. I don't really understand her, uh, pursuit of, uh, Bronson. I was going to say that too. Doesn't really make yeah. sense. Cause like, I mean, she, she's the public defender that gets him out. And when he doesn't want to press charges against Kersey, I mean, against uh, Ed Lauder because he's given him the directive to go and kill. She's just baffled by that. And then just sort of, he sort of walks away and then she seeks him out and asks him out on a date and, you know, they end up getting it on and that's, that's all very, very perplexing, but she's super cute. Um, I've always sort of had a crush on her. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she, she helps the movie for me too. Between her and Marina Sirtis is a, Oh yeah. Plays a Maria. Yeah. That's the Star- unrecognizable. Yeah. The Star Trek lady, which was, you know, a lot of Star oh Trek. Oh my people. God. Holy shit. <laughs> Deanna Troy, yo. Yeah. Deanna wow. Troy. We get wow. to see another, another, again, nice breast. That's all I'll say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, holy shit. Know. Like, wow. That now it's, it's totally clicked into place. Cause I think I saw, obviously I saw Death Wish 3 before I ever saw Star Trek The Next Generation, which I became a huge fan of, but in watching it again, there was an odd twinkling familiarity, and I never put that together. Um, yeah, because yeah. she's a little bit more tan. They're trying to pass her off, I think, as Puerto Rican in this, whereas <laughs> yeah. she's Greek in real life, so. Yeah. So yeah, it's, a, mean, it's a Death Wish film, so Puerto Rican or Hispanic either means a Maria <laughs> or a Rosie. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, well, um, I got to say, um, but, but my theory of, and it's not that, you know, remarkable, but a great villain helps make a great movie. And I think Fraker, you know, establishes himself early, like when he and Kirstie end up in the same jail cell together and he just immediately, they don't like each other. Like they, yeah. they share a look that's just kind of like, no. you yeah. know, I don't know Two about you. Males. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then he just wants to fuck with Kirstie for the hell of it, you know? And, <laughs> And then from there on out, it's he's just he's just a bad dude. Yeah. His haircut is fucking amazing. Oh I, I love, yeah, the I reverse mohawk is unreal. Oh, With the stripe down the landing stripe in the middle there. Oh. Yeah, he paints it. It's like a red strip of red well, lipstick. They, they all have the the paint right. That's their which, signifier. Which is even that. still very Italian. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it makes fucking, it even feel more like a post-apocalyptic Italian film. Yeah. I would say even there's a little bit of Akira in there too. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, with the clown streaking. <laughs> And Michael Winter watching Akira somewhere. <laughs> That's an image I just can't get out of my head now. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, um, I just, like, I am such a sucker for his wieldy magnum in this thing. I mean, that gun is just so ridiculous. It's, you know, because mm-hmm. what is it's like a rifle bullet and... You know, and it makes the best fucking sound ever. It's just like this <laughs> booming sound. Uh, and every person that's ever shot by it, like, jumps in through the air. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. There's some decent stunts in the movie, though. I was going to say, there's a lot of people getting shot and flying, people going through windows, people falling off buildings. Well, um, dummy, dummies falling off buildings. Anyway. There's definitely there's a few some dummies. Good dummy deaths, yeah. Yeah, good dummy deaths. There's some great dummy deaths. One where he lands on the car. No, oh, yeah. they, oh, they, yeah. they didn't cut away quick enough, and it's like, dude. It just sort of slumps into like a pile. Yeah, it's, it's a great bit. It's yeah. a great bit. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, have, I have a few more notes, but I want to let everybody get in on this. I, I just fucking love this movie, though. I mean, it's the melee at the end of the film is just oh fucking as much as you'd. It's just like the perfect. You, you just couldn't ask for any more. Um, it is the 80s finale. 
Absolutely. Yeah. It's fucking brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I just, a decade, I, in a decade full of finales. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let me, I'll, I'll go ahead and go because I've been scratching off stuff Brad's been saying because we're a lot on the same page in most of this. Um, uh, this essentially is a, you know, it's like an old people save the rec center type movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, it's all, and, it, and it predates New Jack City with the building under, under like, under house arrest, essentially. Yeah. It really does. Um, it, this film is special to me, but I got to say, you know, Martin Balsam could use a trim or a neck shave, maybe. <laughs> oh my god, dude! Talk about some fucking fur. You've never seen Martin Balsam until you've seen him in like HD on the Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah. We were watching the Blu-ray of Psycho actually at Brian's house was the first time we saw it. Oh, that's right. Oh my god! And his pores, like he had so much pancake makeup on. In that film. It was uh, unreal. Yeah. I've not, never, a, not a man for close-ups. <laughs> no, no, no. Have you guys seen him in the Anderson tapes, which is a really cool Connery film? Isn't no. now? Doesn't he play the sort of uh, fey? He's a homosexual, a very fey like hairdresser. He wears like an ascot, and he's very fey yes. in it. Yeah. That's a fun movie. I like Anderson. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. Well, that's the the same cinematographer on part one of Death Wish is the same one on the Anderson tapes. Nice. Oh wow, so I love mention. Anderson tapes, man. Um, I've never seen anybody freak out. Like uh, Marina Sirtis does uh, when somebody knocks over a grocery bag full of groceries. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, or, or, and not only that, but she even freaks out even further when they pull the old Marx Brother gag of standing behind somebody and pushing them oh. over so they fall down. Yeah. You would think somebody just got raped. And, you know, all <laughs> yeah. it was was an old school Marx, uh, you know, Marx Brothers gag. I mean, come on. Well, just wait there. a little bit and somebody will. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm going yeah. to go into. Star Trek, geek, uh, Star Trek geeks, you know, I'm sure that this one has been freeze-framed quite a few times. Oh, yeah. I thought you were saying Star Trek gape. <laughs> you know, no, geeks, not Star Trek gape. <laughs> <laughs> Although, uh, you know, I got to admit, whew, she is she is a nice-looking lady. Uh, if the other films slightly glorify murder, <laughs> then this one, <laughs> this one does so with absolute glee. <laughs> Oh, man. I mean, it's so it's just cartoonish. I think it's it's so yeah. detached from reality that it's like a video game, and I think it's just that's that's what makes it easier for me to stomach. Yeah, Death it's all, it's all in. Like it's yeah. all in. Yeah, absolutely. It establishes itself and it establishes that tone immediately. So I think the reason why it works is because the tone is established. It's not like it's Death Wish one with that slapped on. It's Death Wish three is its own thing. It's like uh, Rambo three. What well, Rambo three is another good example of a three that's just totally nuts, right? Because it makes no sense. Rambo three, he's oh, he's yeah, killing thousands and thousands of people with yeah. like a bow and arrow. Yeah, yeah. and two yeah, is the same thing because it's like there there's definitely a progression and like an ex a, an escalation of things, but you can still see how maybe the character would get there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, with this one, it's just like <laughs> yeah, you're right. It is an old people save the rec center movie with a lot more violence, yeah. a lot more yeah RPGs. There's no. Uh, there's, there's, yeah, there's nothing in this film that even is even remotely grounded in reality, from the setting to anything. Yeah, to, to yeah, to the postal service, which we we touched yeah. on before. He the, can get a rocket launcher in the mail. He can yeah. get his. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. He gets a rocket launcher, a wieldy magnum, and mm-hmm. uh, several other things. He just gets all of his munitions by mail. I mean, he literally. Yeah. They have scenes where he literally goes to the post office, <laughs> picks up his weaponry, and then goes back to the rec center. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. Um, there's Uzis in the film, which is always nice. Mac-10s. Uh, yeah, nice Mac-10s. Yeah. Yeah. Really nice. Uh, at one point, there's a guy reading in a bed that's wearing a beret for some reason. <laughs> at one point, a criminal runs through somebody else's apartment, and there's an old man in the bed, and he's got a beret on while he's reading the paper. <laughs> It'd be yeah, okay. that's hilarious. His, his non-reaction, basically. <laughs> to yeah. The real question is though, who wears a beret to bed? <laughs> <laughs> it's his reading beret. Everybody has a reading beret. Come on. Yeah, nice. It's reading. Rainbow. Yeah. 
Brave. Oh. Nice pull, man. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I like the scene with Martin Balsam when he gets the uh, the big gun out and he's getting ready to shoot these guys. And I like the off the uh, the uh, foley sound of the dialogue where a guy goes, "It's not working. Kill the motherfucker." <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's such a bummer too, though, because like you really want him to unload on a couple yeah. of them. His gun just fucking he- jams. Up. And he's reduced to trying to gun butt 14 guys on a set of stairs. Yeah, that's yeah, pretty rough. Um, yeah, and with his reflexes, I think it's one gun butt in. Um, my last and major note on this one, and uh, I think, you know, I know Brian will definitely feel this, but I think all you guys can feel this, even if you're not video gamers. Um, I have to feel like a lot of video game guys that grew up in the 80s saw this film. This is the most video game esque finale of people popping behind walls, the mm-hmm. the quote unquote video game closet uh, where you you know you always have characters popping out yeah. to shoot. Like if you've ever played an Uncharted game, or or some of these other games that are out nowadays, this time when, crisis. There's yeah, a lot of that. When there. I when I play those games, I'm always thinking of Bronson and Death Wish Three. And here I am now. I'm, I'm watching this film again, and even more so now, more than any time, I felt like you know, wow, this game, this movie, the finale feels like a total video game, up to yeah, the point Grand to Theft where Auto all the way, man. Yeah, like he's yeah. got you know, he's got special weapons. He gets the stuff by mail. It's it's <laughs> it's just insane, you know. And he uses a rocket launcher in very close proximity, which, by the way. Does not to shatter reality here, Charlie it's B. It's very safe. It's safer than you think is what will or what Sam was gonna say. Ed <laughs> louder would have been toast sitting that yeah. close. Well, do you notice that's another case of like they set it up early when he gets the thing, he's like talking about the armor piercing round, arms three feet out of the barrel. Yeah. Like that's that's information we need to have, right? Oh wait. Because <laughs> we need to keep this grounded for yeah. later. But that's pretty much all my notes. Hey uh, Miles, I'm gonna hang up on you and call back because you're getting the staticky mic thing um, going. Yeah. That thing? Okay. Yeah. Just so just all right. Uh, so I, hang on. Let me call Miles back real fast. One thing good about Skype is you can hang up and call back fast. <laughs> better. Much better. Okay. Cool. All right. So that's all my notes on Death Wish Three. Uh, who wants to go next? Or? Miles, do you want me to, or do you want to? <laughs> yeah. You know what? I'll, I'll go through some stuff. Cool. Um, the guy's got notes. I got no notes. Uh, not ever. Um. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I I like the I like the older Jewish couple. Um, I really loved Bronson's. Oh, you mean Roddy McDowell? <laughs> Roddy Mc. You know, there is something very like mouse like about both of those guys. No, he's very Paul um, uh, Henry Gibson. That guy. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> they missed out. They should have cast Brother Theodore in that role, in my opinion. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But I do. I love Martin Balsam's character in this movie because he's just like. Come on, I'll show you. Like, I'll just bring you by this apartment. It, I, I don't care what they're doing right now. We're going to go visit them. Um, yeah. and, and basically, Bronson just follows his nose to meeting these people because he smells stuffed cabbage. Which <laughs> That would just reek. Can you imagine how that would just smell terrible? I had stuffed cabbage oh. for dinner. Today. Oh, well, everybody else will be paying for that stuffed cabbage later on today, won't they? Yeah. Oh, they already did. <laughs> Pork meatballs in it. It was oh. good. Oh. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah. To go back, I guess to that to that scene in the uh, in the jail cell with Manny Fraker at the beginning. I I actually think so. You know, the one thing that I think is consistent about all all three of these movies and probably all five is that Bronson is a hundred percent dedicated to, to making this real and to make it work. And the sincerity, you know, that he's still bringing to the role is much appreciated. And I think in Manny Fraker, it might be the, the best 
the best version of that outside of Bronson that we get in the series also. Because I think that that character can be considered pretty goofy, but I think he's really giving it his all. Um, and actually, I think there's a reason why uh, I still remember that character's name. And it's such a memorable, you know, just uh, villain for a film is because he really committed and uh, and I love it. Uh, Dan O'Harely's son. Yeah, said. he's he actually, there's another Bronson connection is... He shows up in the made-for-TV movie The Dirty Dozen Next Mission. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which was made something like, uh, I want to say, at the very least 10 to 15, probably longer than that, years after the original movie. Yeah. And yeah. they just pretend like no time has passed. Yeah. So you see an aged Lee Marvin uh, <laughs> pretending like it's just a year after that first movie came out. It's unreal. Yeah. But Manny Fraker is, uh, is one of the Dirty Dozen in that. Yes, indeed. I think Ken Wall is one of the Dirty Dozen as well in that one. Yeah, I believe you're right. Yep. Fraker, I mean, he sets himself up as an evil motherfucker, too. I mean, he's he's over the top and crazy, but like that scene where he's like, he calls the old dude at his shop. He's like, there's something wrong with your wife, you know, and like you see her when he leaves and she's just, he slit her throat and I mean, mm-hmm. he's a, just an evil fuck and you just get that that sense of being committed like you said he's a very so, he's a very sexual heavy too like when he kills somebody there's like some look of that same rape look that's in one and two kind of comes across his face when he kills somebody in this one yeah very orgasmic as he does it you're right that's yeah. interesting and it's nice that because you get the escalation elsewhere you know that you finally you get the villain that i think matches the tone of the piece because the, the other first thing time is, in the series yeah, because yeah. there's there's no open antagonism between you know the the thugs basically and Bronson in any of the movies until now. It's basically they've done this thing to him, and they they probably have no idea that they're being stalked. Um, but Manny Fraker is pretty pretty well aware of what's yeah. going on, and that makes it interesting too. I think. Yeah, you're right. It's just nice to have an actual antagonist as opposed to like <laughs> a, a, a sort of. Ragtag bunch of goons. Yeah, I mean, right. and they are that too. But but he is, you know, their general, and he, you know, is dedicated to fucking shit up and don't fuck with my turf. And yeah. I like when he I like when he calls in reinforcements because the reinforcements show up and they look like yeah. they're out of you know central casting. They're the worst Raiders gang of Atlantis. <laughs> yeah, seriously, <laughs> holy shit! I hadn't thought about how much that. Wow. Well, yeah. it's great because he even says when he meets Bronson, he's like, I'm going to kill a little old lady just for you. Yeah. 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 I love yeah. that line. That's a yeah. great fucking scary line. He yeah. says he says that in front of police officers in a jail. And yeah, no, and no, and that's no. how much the dude is so arrogant. He just doesn't <laughs> give a shit. And then later, like Louder says that he's like a model citizen, and like mm-hmm. I, that's what I was curious about. Like, what was he in for? Because I mean, he had well, yeah. some kind of arrest record. He wouldn't even have been in jail. It's <laughs> very but, strange. Anyway, but yeah, I, and I also I forgot to mention the giggler who I fucking oh the, the giggler, giggler. The, who's Crunch from the Last Dragon. Yeah, it's Crunch yes. from the Last wow, Dragon. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. The he's, giggler. A great, he's a great. Um, he killed the know. giggler, man. Yeah. <laughs> Which Miles called called that song? That's one of the great one of the great lines in in all history. There's actually also a yeah. there's a, a an actor who's uh, uncredited in the film as a creep, and his name is Tip Tipping. Tip-tipping. So just the tip. Just the tip of tip-tipping. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a, the rape victim. Another one of the rape victims named Sandy Grizzle. Grizzle? <laughs> Sandy Grizzle? Sandy Grizzle. Grizzle. G-R-I-Z-Z-L-E. An awful poor name. Sandy yeah. Grizzle. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Sand, Ooh. Sandy Jism would be a bad name, too. It would be a bad condition. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> oh, ouch. 
What's your problem? Uh, I have Sandy Jism. <laughs> <laughs> it's granular. Oh. <laughs> like sweet and low coming out of there. Oh. <laughs> it wouldn't be sweet. You'd be low, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right, uh, Miles, is that all you got? Yeah, that's pretty much it for this one. All right. Okay, I'll try to make this is going to be an Olympic uh, feat for me to to keep this short, which I'm going to do. Um, there was a wanted poster with a horse on it. <laughs> I have no idea the context of that. I think I saw it. I think they were just talking. It was weird. It was talking about wanting police horse, basic police horses. No, I don't know why that why that was in the jail cell. It was a recruitment poster for horses. Because they they always ride around New York looking for recruitment. They always could, and and the guys that you're putting in that jail cell tend to own thoroughbreds. You'd think probably absolutely (laughs) might be the funniest thing I've ever heard on the show. (laughs) Recruitment recruitment poster for horses. Bizarre man. It totally catches your eye. I'm with you. Um, this is the second louder Bronson for us after Breakheart Pass, which is cool. Um, this is Harry Brown, or Harry Brown is this, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Bronson shifts away from ice cream to fudgesicles in this one, <laughs> which is great. You know, I'm surprised with the gang in this that there wasn't a designer drug they were getting everyone hooked on called yeah. like Ice or Blade or, you know. Yeah, some something. Robocop 2 in there. Sweet, yeah. sweet and low. Sweet and low. Exactly. Sandy Gristle. Um <laughs> There's no way that those guns would have fit in home, homeboy's Samsonite coming back from Korea. Like, how did those things come back from Korea is what I want to know. Yeah, um, it was a different time. There is one moment in this film that, uh, in sort of a, a grand sense of the, the trilogy, I felt it, it's a poignant moment. And there's a bedside confessional after his uh, love scene where he, he says something like, or it, it's that moment we realized that, um, because of the events in the first one, the irony is, I don't want to say what doesn't happen, but you, you know what I'm getting at? That yeah. uh, all these yeah. years later, there's that irony, which I, I think it's delicious uh, in the grand scheme of the franchise because of everyone he lays waste to. Um, yeah, Catfish just has the worst luck with ladies, man. Car explosion, like it just. <laughs> yeah, that car, they like, not they catch send, a break. They send her down a hill that's like. <laughs> One block, and they're counting on the fact that she's going to be collided with and killed. I, I just, I don't understand that. Maybe, they, I mean, my thought was, okay, maybe they just intended to hurt her, and it didn't matter that she yeah. died. That was no big deal. What but. you're saying is there's a lot of coincidence in Death Wish films. Yeah, <laughs> yeah can't be. But, yeah, but you, it's all fitting with this way over the top, you know, yeah, you go universe that we're I in. can tell you without fail that even the <laughs> first time I saw this film as a youngster, I knew that car was going to explode. <laughs> oh, yeah. It yeah. reminds me of the scene in Top Secret where they tap the back of the Pinto yes. in the bumper and it blows yes. up. I mean, that's just how ridiculous it is. But It is like that because it's not even really a bad accident. Like, you, you'd maybe, you'd, it'd be a leap of faith to say you'd even have a neck ache after that accident. Yeah, but, it's just not you know, bad at all. We, we get to see an old dude in a newsboy cap lit on fire. <laughs> oh, that's the other stunt that I should have mentioned. Is a lot yeah. of people get lit on fire in this movie, which yeah, you don't see very. There's yeah. flames just engulfing houses. The houses falling down. Uh, falling, there's weird cap gun noises for some guns, which was kind of odd. Um, <laughs> we don't get Bronson in a house coat in this one, but we get neck uh, neck haired balsam in a house coat, which yeah. is good. It's disgusting. That neck hair is gross, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shave <laughs> your neck, a- bitch. Yeah, there's there's an old couple lit on fire and then shot with an Uzi. Oh, 
brutal. <laughs> subtle. <laughs> it's a subtle moment. Yeah, subtle moment. Dude gets a railroad spike in a forehead. And all the while, well, like the mayhem, it's turned up beyond anything. Like the first 70 minutes of this film could have been dog shit worthless, but the last 20 would make up for any shortcomings. <laughs> yep. I mean, yeah, it is but- so insane. It is as insane as anything you're going to see in any action film. Like there's, And there's just hot licks. I mean, hot licks. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, and then the louder power hour starts yeah. and it's like a buddy cop. Show. Yeah, the <laughs> moment that louder and Bronson are running together and shooting guns, I'm not, I'm not gonna yeah, lie to you, I had a semi. I had a little yeah. bit of an erection. Oh yeah, because they're giving each other like those knowing looks, like those yeah. little kind of winks when like one does something, the other one is kind of impressed with. Or oh, they wanted kind of to, they wanted to fuck. There's no doubt about oh, it. Oh yeah, would have been an. Oh, I would not want to watch that. Um, there, one 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 henchman. He does the ill-advised thing to 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 sort of hide in the most frail tree imaginable to shoot his gun from. Like the tree is like it's like the the Charlie Brown Christmas tree. It, it's it's almost bent to the ground while he's in it. So it, it, I guess the the positive is there's not much of a fall for him when he gets shot dead. But even still, it's just a frail tree, man. You know, you, um, you mentioned that thing about the giggler too. I gotta say. I love that they set the giggler up as this guy that cannot avoid grabbing something and running. That like it's a, it's a, it's a drug for him. Like yeah. Bronson comes out and he's swinging the camera and he's like, <sighs> you know, he's got the heavy breathing going and stuff. Oh, yeah. it's such a great because yeah, the way that he swings the camera onto his shoulder, it doesn't. It almost is going to fall off. He has yeah. to kind of adjust his shoulder to keep it back there. So he just is hanging it like pointing it at him. And the other, yeah. the other like, thing about the, nah, 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 kind of <laughs> the other thing about the Death Wish films, as they escalate one through five, I can tell you this without fail, Bronson proceedingly shoots more people in the back the further yep. it goes along. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> yeah, it's like more people are running away from him, so he should. He's fuck it. I'm just gonna shoot him in the back. <laughs> Which is awesome. weird because I think in was it one or was it two where he asked the guy to draw? It was one, right? Where he yeah. asked the guy to uh, feel your hand is what he says. Yeah, because he wants like he wants to justify what he's doing, but by the time he gets to three, he's like, "Fuck it." Yeah, and there's just more of a gunslinger vibe in that first one anyway, because the the old west thing. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. the whole thing with uh, "I want you out of town." He's like (laughs) at dawn or whatever, like you know. Yeah, 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 all that stuff. Yeah. Um, Last note for this one: Uh, we get the old woman in the apartment with the broom attacking. Like a, yeah. a mother or a thug. That was so prevalent in the from like Predator Two to I mean <laughs> every film had the old woman in with a broom bit. So that's you, it. You'd think that, you know, at some level that a broom would not bother you that much. Mm. No. But it's, uh, uh, well, it's like, more than a few <laughs> I was gonna say, well, it's it's just a step beyond your, you know, people being baffled by nets because, like, yes. it's really not that threatening. It's a little prickly and annoying, but yeah, really, that's about it. I don't know. I guess I mean, if you get the base of the broom, you could, you know, hurt somebody a little bit. But I was gonna yeah. say, Rick, what's the story before we close out or anything? What's the story with the falling out between Bronson and Winter? Do you know? Oh, okay. What? Yeah, uh, I didn't go into that. Uh, so after the film was done, they shot oh, it I one way. But uh, Bronson saw the final cut. He he was not really prone to watching himself on screen. He was not a big fan of himself, <laughs> like a lot of actors are. Uh, but he wanted to see Death Wish 3 for some reason. And so he saw the final cut. and he knew how good it would be. <laughs> <laughs> he saw that uh, Winter had added all of these, in, in his mind, gratuitous, violent shots of, of uh, squibs going off. 
with extras that weren't even in the film. With extras that weren't even in the film. Just so he shooting just, like excessive gore. Yeah, so he was just shooting extra bodies, extra people getting killed. Bronson was offended by that, which is crazy when you think about part two. Obviously, he never watched part two. Um, <laughs> but uh, he, for some strange reason, he decided to watch part three. But after that, he was he felt like Winter had stabbed him in the back, essentially, and decided he wasn't going to work with him anymore. So, Oh, wow. He, so it was really about just extended gore. Yeah, so he put... Uh, Put Jay Lee Thompson on uh, four and five. Yeah, they rode the train for a while too. Yeah, but th- that was really the directors through the seventies and eighties that he worked with were Winner and Thompson. Really, most yeah. of, most of the time those were going to Ten to Midnight is Jay Lee Thompson, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Most of the, the he, there's a couple handfuls of different directors used in there, but most of his work from the time he became a worldwide star until the time he uh, passed away was Jay Lee Thompson or Michael Winner. So, yeah. yeah. So yeah, but uh, he 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 was really offended by it, which is really crazy when you think about Charles Bronson's career. <laughs> but, yeah, but he just really didn't like it. I guess he just felt like Winter stabbed him in the back, and oh, you know these, these films have both they've both been a blessing to Winter. Uh, I guess you could say and this with Bronson too. They've both been a blessing to Winter and a and a curse in a way to both of them yeah. because they kind of became Bronson is kind of synonymous with the vigilante. Yeah, he is. Even though, really, I mean, the Bronson I love is a Western star. But, I mean, he's kind of known. Well, I guess you could say Westerns are vigilante films a lot of the time. But mm-hmm. uh, Bronson, the Bronson I know is always going to be, you know, harmonica. Uh, but, uh, really, when you think about the word vigilante, I'd, I'd, I'd be hard-pressed for anybody to tell me that the first <clears throat> face that doesn't pop in your head is not Charles Bronson. Well, yeah, I was thinking, you know it's there when the Simpsons make fun of Bronson and yes. they put him in. Yes. <laughs> what yep, is his line? Sorry. <laughs> I think they have a Death Wish parody where he's just like, oh boy, or yeah. something. He has, I can't. <laughs> I think he, I think he says that Bronson voice is amazing. It's yeah. so good. I think he says, I just want to die. And I think it's like Death, <laughs> Wish, <laughs> Death Wish 9 or something like that. <clears throat> it's like, yeah. I just want to die. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, MVTs, make or breaks. Group, uh, you started. Let's hear yours. Um, for me, MVT is, and I, I hate to spoil it, but the, the giggler getting shot. <laughs> It's, not it's a, just fucking brilliant. It's, inter, it's I mean, from the from the setup, the tease, you know, of the of the camera, and then you know the the guitar sting coming in there, wow, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. and the giggler sort of laughing like, oh, this is just too easy, and then to the point where he pulls, he, I love how he tosses his ice cream down and pulls the gun out, <laughs> yeah. and then you know fires, and the gurgling sound the giggler makes when he gets blown through the chest, the gurgler, the gurgler, the gurgler exactly. <clears throat> and I also love how the cops can't help but comment on how powerful that gun is. Yeah. Because like when they, they're checking the body the next day, they're like, Oh, what's left of him? He's got a very small hole in the front of his body. Granted, <laughs> yeah. he's, you know What's left of him, yeah. Torn up, but like it's not like he's, you know, like a shark attack victim or something like right. that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They just have to play up like how how incredible that is. But yeah, that's probably it. Or like the Bronson, the Bronson and Ed Lauder scenes are pretty awesome. All of them, you know, whether he's shooting with him or just talking to him. I just love those scenes. Um, my MVT, um, he, I, I guess I got to go with the Bronson winner combo in this one because, um, I mean, definitely winner is the guy responsible on a lot of levels for how bad shit this movie gets. And, uh, you know, Bronson just, slots right in there so um like i said this is a huge favorite for me so my score is pretty high i give it a nine out of ten nice um i fucking just love this movie i've seen it so many times and it was a pleasure to watch it uh one more time for this um just highly recommended i really want to see it as i know it's been run as a midnight show um when phil blankenship used to program at the new beverly 
And uh, I've been trying to nudge him in the direction of doing it again. I don't know if he will, but I need to see it as a midnight. It'd be so much fun to see with the crowd. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. I'm going to get these both on Blu-ray, by the way. Me too. Soon. Yeah. Are they out in Blu-ray? Uh, two oh, and yeah. three. Two and three are, yeah. Two uh, two through four, actually, because yeah. um, it's owned by a different <coughs> company, I think. Is it? Is it an import? Uh, no. You no. Can, there, no, there are domestic uh, Blu-rays that you can pick up for two through four. Open. Yeah, Just, but not one in five for, for some weird reason. Yeah. Well, I think Paramount still lays claim to one. Right. But uh, five is, well, nah, we don't need to talk about five. <laughs> five to, nobody <laughs> wants five. <laughs> Miles, you at your oh, scores. <laughs> yeah, MVT. Um, I'd probably say Manny Fraker. It seems obvious from what I mentioned about the movie. Um, uh, and then, uh, so MVT, <laughs> make or break. Um, hmm. I mean, I the finale, obviously, the yeah. last twenty minutes of the movie, it's amazing, uh, and it makes it big time. <laughs> uh, and I will, I'll give this an eight and a half out of uh, out of ten. I nice. love this one. Nice. Uh, okay, uh, me uh, make or break is the yeah, the finale. I mean, it's 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 everything about the '80s and action films that I love when it comes to finales. Uh, it's very video game. It's very insane. It's illogical and it's lovely. And all its in <laughs> all of its uh, illogicalness, I just I, I just I love the ending of this thing. It's just crazy, and like I said, once Louder and Bronson start running through the streets, <laughs> I'm down, man. It's like like Bowie and Jagger, baby. <laughs> uh, my MVT, I'm gonna say, I don't think I gave it to him alone on any film that we did, but I'm gonna give this one strictly to Bronson because I really feel like he carries this one. Like this is <clears throat> of the three, this is like the Bronson one for me. Uh, because this is not only does it kind of do the Death Wish character, but this is kind of what everybody kind of sees Bronson as. Like when you hear Tarantino talk about it in Reservoir Dogs, and he's like, he's like Charles Bronson, man. You know, like a Charles Bronson motherfucker. You hear stuff like that. This is that Charles Bronson motherfucker. This mm. is that guy, the guy that can kill 90 people and then just walk away with his uh, suitcase while more gang members are coming in. I don't understand why he's not killing more gang members as he's walking out. I mean, there's more coming in. I guess he got done what he had to get done, but yeah. whatever. Uh, my score for the film is also high. It's an 8.5 out of 10. I think Death Wish is a better film, but I think Death Wish 3 is the most entertaining of the bunch. It's certainly the most GGTMC of the bunch. Oh, it's yep. This thing oozes GGTMC. <laughs> Absolutely. There's not a there's not a moment in this film where you're not thinking of the, some of the things we've talked about over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Large William. Uh, make a break. You got to be the last twenty, man. It just ridiculously <laughs> incredible. MBT is just the insanity. They go full, just full bore. They don't, um, just they don't try to be anything, any real sort of social commentary or any complex issues. It's just insane. Um, my score for the film is. Um, an eight out of ten. I, I, for me, the second one and third one are, are pretty close. Like, um, but it, yeah, like the, the the twenty minutes in this is, I mean, like I said, the the opening sixty five could have just been the most most worthless thing I would have ever seen, and I'd still want to watch this film again because those last twenty are amongst the most glorious twenty minutes in in GGTMC type film that you're gonna get. Yeah, and a lot of uh, action directors could take note on the. Uh 
especially the straight to video action directors that exist now, they could take note on the lesson of brevity and getting the story going. Yeah, now, too I, much exposition and nonsense in yeah. a lot of uh, films nowadays, low budget. Yeah. I do like, uh, also, I have to mention this because I mention it every time we do it. I like the munition prep. I like uh, the oh, yeah. scene where the, you always have the gun porn where somebody's sitting around making bullets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got to love that shit. Or anytime someone gets shot, the, the bullet in the pan with the clinking noise. Yeah. <clears throat> yes, yes. They got to pull the bullets up. With a, just a little tiny cloud of blood in the water. <laughs> yep. yep. They always got to drop it in the metal pan. I don't understand that. I guess because yeah. the metal pan's always nearby. It seems like we'd went to plastic by now. You would think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but you got to get that clinking sound. That's yeah. what you need. Yeah, yeah the, pl- the plastic's not really going to sell it, right? No. Um, okay, so that is the GGTMC 200. That is our episode on uh, the three Death Wish films. Now, I know we Do you think it's long enough? Or? I think it's long <laughs> enough, yes. Uh, this is old school, man. This, this I know. I was going to say, you guys had, had it trimmed down like uh, before. Well, it is episode 200. We invited you guys on. We knew it was going to be a longer episode. We wanted Three it to films, be. four guys. Yeah. We wanted it to be this type of yeah. episode. Go back to the way it was. One cup still. Yeah. <laughs> four guys, one cup. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I want to thank you guys, Miles and uh, Rube, for being such a big part of our show, uh, being uh, with us through a lot of this. Miles supporting us, Rube helping us out with interviews and doing all kinds of stuff for us. I mean, you guys do all that stuff. There's no pay for that. There's no nothing outside of a thank you. And we appreciate that. Uh, I just want to say that, you know, publicly that, you know, if I don't thank you guys often enough publicly, I'm thanking you right now that, you know, you guys mean a lot to us. I should say that. So it's my pleasure. The show has been a big, big deal to me for a long time. I can't believe it's been four years. Um, I know I wasn't involved with the show from episode one, but I feel like uh, I was a fan relatively early. Uh, you, um, you've been with us in our hearts from one. I can tell you that. Yeah, the yeah, listeners like you uh, are the ones we do it for. Yeah, it's 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 been great, and I'm honored to be a part of this. And congratulations to you guys. You know, 200 more plus. Yeah, I, I again, I I would echo that sentiment. I'm really happy to be here with you guys. I, I remember listening to the very first episode, driving home from uh, the Summit Movie Theater in LA, and um, yeah, it was. I just I've loved the show since the start, and I I'm really proud of you guys for doing this uh, for so long and for getting to 200. It's awesome, man. Um, thank you, yes. to both of you. Just if I may, just a quick word to both of you. Uh, Miles, thank you for inspiring us uh, for what you do. I mean, you were one of the, the first shows I listened to that I adored um, and, you know, to inspire us uh, in what we did and to just uh, to be so gracious and willing to to give of yourself uh, your time and, and to be part of what we do means a lot to us, which Rick has said, so let me echo that. Um, and Rube, same to you, like, for everything you've done for our show and with us, um, we haven't always been able to have schedules work out despite, you know, because of being on different coasts, but know that you are an integral part of what we do and what we are. And, you know, you truly are one of us, both of you. And, um, you know, we really, really wouldn't have had any other way than to have you guys on with us uh, for this episode. So thank you again. That's enough jerking each other off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Starting to get emotional in here. We're all getting sentimental because over here it's 4.30 in the morning. Oh, yeah. You guys have been up since 4 in the morning. Yeah. yeah. yeah good point. Well, I actually have somebody coming out to put direct TV in my house today. Holy shit. <laughs> I gotta, like in a half an hour they're going to be here. Yeah. So <laughs> I got to be up in half an hour to answer phones for work. Yeah, oh, nice. no. Brutal. But again... Thank you guys, and uh, thank all the listeners too. We want to thank all you guys who've supported us and listened to us for yeah. 200 episodes. If you've listened from episode one, 
then we love you just as much as the ones that are just listening to this as their first episode. Uh, thank you for taking the time to download us and make us a part of your lives. We plan on doing this until we can't do it anymore. That's as simple yeah. as it goes. Uh, we don't really have a time frame or a longe- you know, longevity. We don't really know when this thing will end, but hopefully it'll end on a good note and when, when it needs to end. And hopefully it won't be tired like Death Wish 9 would have been. We'll be puffy-faced fa- <laughs> we'll puffy yeah, before we'll, it ends. I'm already starting to get there. <laughs> be the big, big 4-0 next year, man. I don't have neck hair, thankfully. Uh, I do. I do. That's why it bothers me. See, that's why it bothers me because I actually do grow, I grow extensive amounts of hair on my neck. I can't oh. believe I'm going to be 23 next year. <laughs> <laughs> You're so old. <laughs> oh, fuck. But uh, with that, I will say adios. 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 Still see them together